to do what you have to do. Let me submit it to the insurance company and forget about it. But then when they start to find out about what happens to those estimates that some of them have put together and they just get samurai sword sliced and diced into just $50,000, then they're just like, wait, and, what am I doing this And let's look at it for? like this, $50,000 according to what? What was best for the insurance company? Exactly. And that damn policy was never written with that intent. I agree with you. Thank God that we've got these things now put in place that at least we could hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable. That's what that's what the conference is about. Policy Elder Preservation Association of America is about. We don't want you taking any more of our rights. You've taken and trampled on enough that we have. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that you don't take no more and that we go back and retrieve some of the things like Texas uh, 2017. They reduced the penalty. What's up, advocates? And welcome back to the Claims Game Podcast. Ooh, we got, if you're a public adjuster, get ready for this one. But before I get into it, uh, make sure that wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it be Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iTunes, or even on YouTube, we'd love a review uh, so that we could get better ratings and we could, you know, get our ranking up. Uh, so we'd love a review and a comment of why you like the show. And also make sure that you follow us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And if you want to know any more information about our consulting services, our Zoom courses, our meetups, our ebook that we free ebook that we're giving away, and any future things that we've got going on, because it's a lot of things that we got going on, make sure that you go on commercialclaimsadvocate.com and you can get all the information you need. And if you are just starting out, put your email address so you can get this free ebook. It is killer. Today I mean, I, I always talk about how we have a special guest and it's my favorite guest and it's this and that. If you are interested in really leveling up your knowledge in public adjusting, you have to sit down in your car or in your office or in your room and you need to watch this, this episode of the Claims Game, Claims Game podcast from beginning to end because it is, because it is with Cal Spoon. Cal Spoon. This son of a gun knows everything you need to know about this insurance policy. He is a public adjuster, licensed in Texas and Louisiana, maybe other places as well. He's the owner and CEO of Insurance Busters, okay? They are a public adjusting firm, mainly based, they're based in Galveston, Texas, and he is an educator like me. He has a course like me, and we are not competition because what we are trying to do together is really level up this industry, okay? Really make it, the more we educate each other and the more we we feed off each other and, and make sure that we're doing things the way they're supposed to, the more successful we are going to be for our clients. And you know what? The more successful we are for our clients, the more successful we are for our pockets and for our families. This is like the most insane podcast. Two hours plus of just information, information, information. If you're watching it on YouTube, I'm going to share the screen a couple times too, and we're going to go through certain things in the policy, especially the duties after the loss. You have to listen to Cal Spoon talk about the duties after the loss. And if you want to know how we're trying to get our fee paid on top of what is actually paid for the, for the, um, for the repairs, listen to this podcast. Guys, it is dimes. It is basically 30, 40 years of experience you're going to be listening in this one podcast. Between my 14 years of experience, and I think Cal has about 20 or maybe a little bit less, you're talking about 40, almost 40 years of experience you are going to get in this Claims Game podcast. One of the best episodes you will ever listen to about public adjusting. So stay tuned to my good friend, Cal Spoon. Welcome to the Claims Game podcast with Vince Perry. 
Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. Listen up, advocates, whether you're a public adjuster, contractor, or an attorney, if you have a client that has suffered any kind of catastrophic loss, whether that be by fire or storm or just any catastrophic loss that requires your client to have to move out and incur ALE and loss of use coverage, you need to think about looking at Black Diamond Services. This is an incredible idea for a service that I think is extremely valuable and I've actually personally used uh, for my clients myself. Basically what they do is they provide all of the necessary money that needed as needed to be done for the homeowner uh, to go and move to another place, whether that be a hotel or another home or whatever it is, they basically bill through their insurance policies, loss of use coverage, and basically they provide financial assistance so that the insured never has to incur any out-of-pocket expenses. It's an amazing service. I love the people at Black Diamond Services, especially Millie Varela. If you just contact her and contact Black Diamond Services, I'm telling you, they're going to take care of your climate clients like you wouldn't believe. I personally have a client who suffered a fire damage and had to use their ALE coverage, and all we did was refer them to Black Diamond. Our clients did not have to come out of pocket a single penny. Black Diamond provided all of the financial um, uh, money, and they provided the actual location for the homeowner to stay. Amazing service. Contact Black Diamond Services today so you can find out more information for yourself. As we get into uh, this next year, I would really like to see the heads of the industry come together uh, and, and agree on one body that does have the ability, like an engineering board, like a licensing board that's, that's a quasi, it's not a government entity, it's, it's an entity that we actually build, put into place, and then you know the people that we all pick to run that thing runs that thing and we put some rules and regulations in there in order to be a part of that, uh, you have to follow those rules. You can't just follow them. And, you know, you and I both hear a bunch of lip service. We hear it every, every damn day about what you, what you do. And then we see your product and it's not quite what you said it was. Right. <laughs> so right. we want to bring some accountability and we want to make sure um, that as we go forward, uh, people don't ruin our profession. You know, we've got, right. a, this is the, to me, the best profession in the world, uh, you can come in and make one of the best livings that you ever saw, uh, honestly, uh, without having to have a college degree behind you. Um, I would like to keep it that way. While I do want it to be harder for you to get a license, uh, and I'm glad it wasn't that hard for me to get a license, but, but it was not that hard. Once you get the license, then we have to really talk about, now what are you going to do? <laughs> And most people do not know uh, the boot camp for uh, everything that it's that it's benefited. Uh, one of the main things is understanding that the majority of people that walk into this profession do so blindly uh, with not a inkling of how to run a claim, what's going on with the insurance company, uh, how vastly uh, the task itself is huge. And when, when we see one person that says, I got, you know, I got 118 claims, how does that make you any different from the adjuster that, that is working for the IA? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. 
Uh, everybody's out there just they they just want to get more and more and more and more and more claims. People don't understand the amount of work that it takes to go into every single claim. If you're doing your job right, if you're gathering the proper documentation, if you're getting your invoices, receipts, if you're taking proper photos, if you're inspecting properly, you better go up to that freaking roof and, and inspect every single shingle, inspect every single tile. It takes time. You have to do it. You have to do it correctly. On top of that, uh, a lot of the work that we do on our end is the follow-up process. We're following up every single week, every seven days, no matter what. Thankfully, I've got staff that they help with the follow-up process, but this son of a bitch right here had to do that shit every single week by myself for a very long time. And you have to, in order to, and if you're going to do that, you have to take pride in this in this profession, which is why I respect you so much because I think both of us, we take a lot of pride in what we do. A lot of people just come in, it's a fly-by-night. Oh, look at all this money I can make as a public adjuster. Oh, I hope another storm rolls in so that I can make a ton of money. And, you know- I cringe, I cringe when I hear that. <laughs> I hate that because, you know, as someone for me, I was, I was always in Florida. Now I'm licensed in Texas as well. But for me, I'll be honest. And initially I was what, 24 years old when I decided to get into the industry. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. Hurricane, lots of hurricanes. Ooh, look at all this money. And I'll be honest. Initially, that was the reason why I did it. Well, guess what? I didn't get a hurricane for 10 years. Yeah. Kind of had a drought, didn't you? After Wilma and Katrina, we didn't have anything. Nothing hit Florida until Irma. So that was 2005, 2004. There was like four, 2005, there was two. 2005, there was two. And then I became an adjuster. I think it was 08. I'm like, all right, we're going to get another one for sure. I'm ready. I can't wait. And guess what? Nothing until 2017. So what did I do? I had to, you know, you have to find a way you have to make it work. Right. And, you know, then that's how I sort of learned the ropes. But that's how it's got to be, because at least I was actually grateful. I remember the first year I did it, then the second year, then the third year, then the fourth year. And every year I was like, you know what? I hope we don't get a storm because I'm establishing my networks. Uh, I'm establishing myself. I'm learning how to do this. I hope we don't get a storm. And then I hope we don't get a storm. And then eventually I got to the point where I don't care if we get a storm or not. I'm busy enough. I've got claims. Now I know what I'm doing. And I'm settling these things and I'm making a great living while I'm doing it. So, you know, but everybody else... I even got a couple of guys on my staff that they just, they're like crossing their fingers and praying to God every night that a storm hits. When I'll tell, I'll keep rambling a little bit, but when, when I went to Hurricane Michael in the panhandle, I don't know how much I ever want to work a storm again. So I don't know if you're sort of experiencing the same thing over there right now in Louisiana, but it's brutal. It's brutal. People are suffering. It hurts. I, I, I feel bad for even so I, at the time, I felt even a little bit bad because I am ultimately profiting, right, from from doing it. Uh, it's like weird emotions and you're going there and people have no roof and people have everything is wet inside of their house and they can't live inside their house and all these things. Let's, let's, let's change the scenario and let's look at it like this. There's not another person in the world that can help them like you can. So as bad as things are, as all the things that are going on, and attorneys can help, but there's a time and a place for those guys. The beginning is not it. Uh, any of them who work their salt will agree the case needs to be right for litigation before the case is brought to them. If they're saying something different, uh, then we know what their motivation is. Uh, and then if we take our the even in Florida, no matter where we're at, we don't charge more than 10 percent, 10 percent of the of the total proceeds. So if we look at our our common weight staff, what do you, what do you tip your waiter? 20 percent. Yeah. 
and pretty much whether they perform or not, huh? <laughs> pretty much, especially now, since, especially since COVID. It's like, all right, whatever, I'll give you the 20% anyway. Exactly. So, you know, one of my biggest uh, things that I talk about when people are worried about that 10% is, that, is I say that, you know, how much do you tip your waiter? And you can see, I call it the blink. I love the blink. You get the blink and they, they do the blink and yeah, and you won't pay us unless we actually perform. So, uh, you know, that's a hell of a 10%. Uh, we have done many uh, catastrophic events. We did Michael. I was there on uh, on the the right there on the beach for six months. Uh, we Mexico. ran Mexico Beach and like that whole area. No, uh, right down there at uh, at actually uh, Panama City Beach. Mm-hmm. Right, right, in, right there at the uh, I think it's Thomas Drive at the corner there. Mexico Beach was a little bit further on down, but uh, we did a ton of claims there, and, and you know we always come in and feed like. This Saturday, we're, we're still feeding. Uh, we do. Uh, we did a, a Halloween costume drive. We did a turkey um, drive for Thanksgiving, raised a bunch of money for them. Uh, we'll do an angel tree for Christmas. So I, I think that it meshes out by putting into the community before you take anything out. That's, that's pretty much our motto. We want to come in. We want to feed. We want to bring whatever we can possibly bring in. Uh, and then as we get there, then I call it osmosis, uh, the natural occurrence of business. We lease an office and then people just walk in the door. Uh, I don't believe in door knocking. I know some people like it. I know some people can't live without it. I don't like it from the start. I don't like it from the finish. And it's really based upon one principle. I don't want you knocking on my door when I'm at home. And if I don't want you doing it to me, then I certainly should not be doing it to you, <laughs> which is the crutchable of what we're trying to teach inside of the boot camp. Uh, you know, we had a we've, we've got one insured where the uh, the carrier came out and, and wrote a horrible estimate, as they always do, because they're, they're they don't know what's going on. But they couldn't write a good estimate if it if it their life depended on. But they didn't pay for anything except for this floor. And then they paid 20 something dollars a foot, $21 a square foot for this floor, saying that it was an engineered hand scraped floor. And it is not. It is a laminate $10 a square foot max uh, floor. Uh, so we corrected it. And, and the guy contacted us. He said, like, how come your number is so much lower on, on, the, on the, the floor? Well, you know, we can't pick and choose when your guy's an idiot. We can't say that when when you're not benefiting me, you're an idiot. But when you are benefiting me, you're a smart guy and we take your deal. We have to put it what is there uh, and everything will plan out correctly because that's not that's all we're asking for anyway uh, is, is what you actually owe. We don't want to put anything on it that you don't know, uh, but we do want to make sure that you catch all the stuff that you do. Right. Right. Uh, this is the field adjuster that put in the hand scraped um, yeah. engineered, I guess, or solid wood floor. Exactly. And then you, you put in the laminate. Yes. That and, we put and, back your estimate was, and your estimate was probably still quadruple theirs. Oh, easily, <laughs> easily. But, you know, sitting inside of a deposition, uh, you know, answer of that course. question is, is, is the statement, well, I better not say their name, is, <laughs> is the adjuster, you know, only right when it hurts you or is he, is he always right or is he always wrong? And it, it is what it is. And when you make a mistake, we're going to catch it either way. And if you went put some high dollar flooring in there, if we're ever going to be credible, if we're going to be reputable, uh, then we put the right thing in there, uh, the defensible item. What, what item is in there? We put what's there. Why didn't you put the $20 that the, that the carrier had? Because it's not the right one. Uh, we were looking for right. We're not looking for the most expensive, the, the most money that we can get. We're looking for the amount that's actually owed. And the beauty of it is you see the difference, too, when you go out to the inspections and you meet the adjuster and they meet Cal Spoon or they oh, get yeah. an email 
from Cal Spoon <laughs> or Melanie Spoon. Besides the fact that I'm sure for you, they're just like, oh, shit. For me, I think it's, that's it's, the main deal. <laughs> we have our we have our different styles, right? Which is fine. But for me, I think it's now I get emails. They're like, "Hey, Vince, awesome! Like, really happy to be working this claim with you because they know I'm a straight shooter. Like, you're a straight shooter. We're not in there to. I hate the fucking word. And you could say fuck if you want. I hate yeah. the word fluff. I hate all that crap. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm putting an estimate together because that's what I believe costs to do the stuff. So now, after 14 years of doing this, uh, when I meet the adjuster on the other side, they know who I am. They know I'm a straight shooter. They look at my estimate. They're just like, all right, this is something that I can work with. And then ultimately, what do we do? Not only are we indemnifying the insured, but we're also making the life of the insurance company if everything works out right, we're making their lives much easier. We're doing their job for them. We're inspecting the property the way it's supposed to be inspected. We take but the what if I told them, what if I told you it wasn't their job? What if you told me that? I don't know. You tell me more. <laughs> it's never their job. Uh, the, the contract is a reactionary contract. Uh, if you remember from camp, it, the duties after a loss must be performed before the insurance company. So if the insurance company came out there and wrote you a $50,000 check, uh, but they owed you $300,000. The fact that they came out there and wrote you anything at all is a bonus for them because nobody performed on the contract yet. The second we perform on the contract, then we really just want them to verify. Is this what's here or not? Uh, and if it's not, then then show me where and I'll make that correction. And then I expect to see the, the totality of what we put in. Uh, so I think it's... It, we have to get away from that shift. They have spent enough money to make the whole entire world believe that it's not a conflict of interest to send the guy out that owes the money to tell you how much. I don't care how much you spend. The second that we put it in the, in the, in the light and we say, okay, the guy that owes the money is going out to tell you how much, and that's not a conflict of interest. Well, it is a conflict of interest. In fact, I believe it's how our profession, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out who was the first son of a bitch <laughs> that, you know, got the public adjusting profession and how in the world did it occur? Uh, and after, you know, 13, 14 years, whatever we've been in this, uh, it, it finally hit me about a month ago uh, that it became clear they didn't have a choice. And I think that this is probably our gateway into some of the states, Arkansas, Alaska, uh, Wisconsin, that, that, are, that, that do not allow public adjusters. That's insane to me. That's well, insane to not have an advocate to fight for the homeowner is, 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 is crazy. Do you think that the insurance carriers lobbied that or do you think it's a, of course, a of course <laughs> they got more money than the Pope. Yes. You know, it's like, everybody's <laughs> always afraid of our industry. Everybody's always, they're scared that, Oh my God, what's going to happen with our industry one day because they do make our lives hard, you know, with all their different policy changes and so on and so forth. But I always also tell them that I was kind of worried about that when I first started 14 years ago. Ultimately, in my opinion, and I hope I'm right, we're never going to go away. A homeowner, the policyholder needs an advocate. They need somebody to go out there and to do the job to follow the duties after the loss and present the claim the way it's supposed to so that it's clear, it's understandable, and the carrier knows exactly what needs to be paid. I can't believe that there's actually states that were illegal. I don't even know if we need to keep using that word advocate because it's really not correct. Uh, if we were advocate, that would mean uh, that we were we were doing whatever we could possibly to make them win, whatever the deal was. By the by, the virtue of the policy itself, the policy is what says, "Hey, you must go out and perform 
So when we go out and perform, we're doing what they demand. And what should happen at that point is they just should just have one person that reviews that file and tells us whether that file is correct or not. And if it's not, then what part of it do you show that it's not? So basically what I'm getting at is I can see a place in the future, probably maybe five to six years from now, where there's only one adjusting body. And that body is not an advocate body. That body is a body that is independent, a true independent. Uh, and I believe we run our firm that way. We, we don't care. You know, the, the flooring is a perfect example. I don't give a shit that you pay $21. The flooring, $21. Would I pay $21 for a $10 floor? No, then I'm not going to ask you to either. Uh, and I'm definitely not going to demand it under the policy. But I can see by, uh, as we were saying a while ago, the insured must perform. If the insured must perform and you have to have a license to do anything in insurance, then who is it that can actually perform? Only an attorney or a PIA. That's it. Nobody else. And I hear all, I hear many, many arguments, but they fall apart very quickly. Uh, what does, who can affect insurance claims? Somebody with a license. If you have an independent or a staff adjuster license, can you work directly for the insured? Absolutely not. You must have a different license that is public insurance adjuster. In Louisiana, they make us sign a disclosure uh, with every single contract that has that in there. And it should be clear to everybody. These two guys over here work for this other guy and they have the check. So this guy, no matter what, well, he doesn't get paid that way. He does get paid that way. He has a job today, right? Right. If he goes against what you're doing, will he have a job tomorrow? No. No? Okay. So then, yeah, let's say that's a pretty big incentive. That's quite wise. <laughs> well, and, and at this point, we've graduated <clears throat> probably up to 300, 300 or so people from the boot camp. And I would say a good 150 of them at least come from the other side uh, and to hear the stories and hell, all you got to do is really look at the reviews. I worked for State Farm for 30 years and uh, come to this boot camp and it literally completely changed the way that I looked at things and did things. And it made me realize that for the last 30 years, I have been incrementally micromanaged to the point of cutting this one off and the next one was cut off and something else was cut off. And then I didn't have control of this. And if you look at it, uh, McKinsey and company were very, very, successful for lack of a better word they were extraordinarily successful the claim is micromanaged to the point now that the person that comes out in the field couldn't write an estimate to save his life it has to go back into the desk adjuster that they won't let the guy in the field or they say they won't let the guy in the field make the decision but they don't have that choice the statute's pretty clear if a representative of the insurance company would represent something to you then guess what that's what it is <laughs> whether the policy says it or not Let's talk about McKenzie and Company for people that don't know McKenzie and Company. And you correct me if I'm wrong, interrupt me whenever you want, because uh, I'm going to be paraphrasing. But McKenzie and Company was a uh, lawsuit. It was a, a long time ago. It was like, what, in the early 90s, I think it was. And yeah. uh, what basically occurred was McKenzie and Associates is a uh, consulting firm. And they were hired by, I believe it was Allstate. Um, and they were hired Original. by Allstate. 
to to go and to sort of look at their books, look at their numbers, uh, see where they could turn things around and start profiting more. And what they realized was that the claim payments that were being made were quite high. And what they were able to figure out was that if we can cut payments here and cut payments on here and, and, and minimize payments here, here and there, they basically developed a strategy that I believe, if correct me if I'm wrong, they put on an actual PowerPoint presentation that was actually disclosed later on, a PowerPoint presentation of how they could basically underpay claims. And when Allstate was able to implement this and every other insurance company saw how much money, how much more money they were making, how much more money they were saving as a result of this strategy, it all sort of like dominoed into every insurance company now basically uh, doing the exact same practice. And a lot of people Absolutely. don't know about that. And it's pretty, pretty well, incredible story. There's there's two things that go with that. Number one, any if your only business <laughs> is to pay a claim when, when a legitimate claim is there, how are you going to cut costs? only by cutting legitimate claims payments. So we know that's bad faith. Bad faith says that you can't do that. But we also have speed limits that say that we can't speed either, but we all do it. And they, they break the law just as much as we do uh, as we're doing speed limits. Uh, the second part of that, McKinsey and company is, uh, while they did do Allstate first, remember what Allstate's last name is? Uh, it was, no. Lloyd's. Okay. Allstate Lloyds. What's State Farm's last name? Uh, Lloyds. Uh, Liberty Mutual. Lloyds. Really? They're all absolutely. You weren't listening in class. That's why I hate Zoom. <laughs> 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 you were doing something else. I got most yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, the uh, Lloyds is the syndicate that each one of these companies are beholden to in one way or another. If they're not directly named in the name, as you can do a Google search right now and pull up Allstate Lloyds and it'll pull it up. Uh, probably Allstate Lloyd's Florida for you. If you're in Texas, it'll pull up Allstate Lloyd's Texas, the Louisiana, same thing. So there's really not a big difference. And, and what came in was when it came up to uh, supplying these records, deny, delay, defend, that's where that came from. That slogan and then the other one that was very popular at the time was from Good Hands to Boxing Gloves. Right. Uh, in essence, that, it, that it, we're, we're going to offer you a pittance. And if you expect that, if you accept that pittance, then the, the good hands is what you'll get. But if you defy that and, and dispute it, then you're going to get the boxing gloves. We're going to drag you out in the middle of the street. We're going to talk about your affairs. We're going to talk about uh, what your wife did to you, what you did to them, your business practices. And we're going to let all your neighbors know about it. We're going to beat the crap out of you because you didn't understand the first step. You didn't perform. And if McKenzie did anything, he told the insurance companies, you've got to get them from believing that they have to perform and that you are the only one that can perform. Now, look around you today and you can see absolutely how successful that has been. Nobody knows what public adjusters are. And everybody thinks that, well, why would I hire a public adjuster? Isn't the insurance company going to send an adjuster? Why not just allow yes. the insurance company to do it? They've got everybody brainwashed. Same reason you don't go down to the car lot and just open up your checkbook. <laughs> you just tell me what, I, what you want me to pay for that. Call. Right. Or right. you go down there and tell them what you're going to pay. Uh, the second deal on McKinsey and Company is uh, if you get to look at not only has McKinsey and Company uh, consulted Allstate, but they've consulted all of the other insurance carriers. They've consulted the United States government. They've consulted the Chinese government just prior to the current pandemic that we have going on. Uh, big tobacco, 
last year they were maybe this year if it was not the last of last year i think it's this year i think it's in 2021 uh, they were fined 583 million dollars for their and I'm, I'm that number maybe maybe inverted but it's 500 something million dollars that they paid the u.s government for their role in the hydrocodone deal. in the hydrocodone. in other words yeah. yes from them they went to big pharma and taught big pharma the same thing that they taught big insurance how to sell to the to the least susceptible so that you could get them hooked and get them going forward and do it in such a way that you hook them and that they have no choice. $583 million or 538, whichever one it was, that's a significant amount of money. Now, the biggest thing that I want everybody to think about is if if when you when you hire a company like uh, McKinsey and Company, you say, hey, I want you to come in here and look at my books and tell me what I need to do. <coughs> <laughs> you don't hold anything back. You give them everything. Uh, and they will tell you that when that when you hire them, hey, you have to give us access. We need 100% access to everything that you got going on and everything that you know, that way we can incorporate. So in other words, this one consulting firm has big pharma secrets, has all state secrets, has state farm secrets, has the Chinese government secrets, has the United States government secrets, has big tobacco secrets. If anybody wanted to make everybody play ball, who do you think maybe would have that type of ability? McKinsey and Company. Right. If you look at the, the state that we're in right this second and you start to connect, you did a whiteboard, you put a whiteboard up and you put McKinsey in the center and then you start to connect McKinsey to all the people. Now, say when COVID first came out, you had a bunch of people that said, hey, you know what? This is bullshit. I don't I don't want to do this. And a company like McKinsey could come to you and say, are you sure that you don't want to do this? Well, what do you looking mean? At the, looking at the Wikipedia page now, and it's like, it's, they've been around since 1926. Yes. And they look at the list of the people that they have consulted. <clears throat> In other words, they know your deepest, darkest secrets. And if they wanted you to do something, all they would have to do was threaten to expose you. And they could expose you in a way that nobody ever knew. Controversies, Enron, 2008 financial crisis, uh, yes. the role in the opioid epidemic, Rikers Island jail complex, controversial clients and association, role in the U.S. immigration and customer uh, cu customers enforcement, role in Saudi clapdown uh, on dissidents, support of authoritarian regimes. Chinese government. That's they, crazy. They are, yeah. Well, and, and right now there's a some people in Congress are acting like they're going to say something and they're saying, well, wait, they're, they're, they're consulting the Chinese government and they're consulting the U.S. government. What's to keep them from, you know, working the middle? You mean you're going to send the guy that owes the money out to tell you how much? <laughs> Come on. I got my little doggy here with me. Awesome. Awesome. She sits behind me. Uh, so. You know, I, I think the more that we pull back the layers of McKinsey and Company, the more that we're going to find out that the world is run by people like McKinsey and Company. Are they still? Is McKinsey still involved with all Abs of these insurance companies? Absolutely. And see, they I just, thought that was just something in the '90s. There was a lawsuit. They lost the lawsuit, yeah. I think, or they just settled. Probably. Well, they weren't in the lawsuit. The records were in the lawsuit, and that was what the big deal was: is trying to get those records so that we could open them up. And they fought it and they fought it. And finally, sometime in 2000, something or another, they were able to get the actual claims manual that they had pushed. Uh, and it was, it was actually over Colossus. Yeah. 
uh, it was Colossus and the automotive industry, but it a claim is a claim is a claim. Uh, I don't more, care. You can more people need to know about this because yes. more consumers need to know about this because it's already the the fact that most public adjusters don't know about this. That's whatever. That's one thing, but people who are out there, uh, you know, uh, uh, filing claims and uh, you know buying purchasing their policy. I mean, think about it. It is it's a racket, right? Because they have no choice but to get it. They have to buy insurance. Yes. The mortgage company requires it. Like, why is it a requirement? Why can't you just insure yourself? Because the mortgage company wants to be sure that you're going to have enough money to do it. But then you're required to do something with a crooked company, crooked organization that is only we going to underpay you. They're only going to underpay you when the time comes to actually make a payment. It's like every client says, I don't understand. They always accept my premium, but whenever I have to, whenever I file a claim, they never want to pay. I've been with them for so many years. I don't understand why they're giving me such a hard time. It's the just- Texas Supreme Court put it succinctly. Uh, they, there's a uh, and anybody can look this up. It's Barber Technologies versus State Farm. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, Texas Supreme Court Justice, put in his opinion that we must understand from the onset. The insurance claim process is adversarial from the second that you file a claim until that claim is resolved. So the Supreme Court, not some layman that's on the side of the road that's seen one thing or two things. We're talking about a Supreme Court justice who has presided over these claims at the highest level is telling you in his opinion that the second that you file a a claim with your insurance company, that you become an adversary. And to people like us, it shouldn't be, it, it should be very clear. Uh, you owe me money. The second that you owe me money, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> and we're not going to be friends again until you get that money paid. So with the Supreme Court saying that, it should be easy for everybody to go ahead and discern, hey, sending the guy out that owes the money is not a good idea. Uh, it's just simply not. Could you repeat the name of the Supreme Court uh, ruling there? Barbara, Barbara Technologies versus State Farm. Barbara? Barbara Technologies. Versus State Farm, okay. uh, and I have a link. If you have, there's uh, uh, send it over. I probably have yeah. it from the boot camp. But send it over, and I'll leave a link in the description of everything that we talk about. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, you know, from good hands to boxing gloves. That's it. I mean, it it is what it is, and it is an adversarial thing because every time, I mean, we go out there, and it's just like I'm gonna lowball you. I'm gonna do whatever I can to take advantage of you here, and I'm not gonna pay nothing, and you know, but uh, I know it is. Well, what it is, you're right? dealing you're dealing with one side of it. The other side of it is, you know, I went out to uh, uh, the clients that I was at this morning. They got a three hundred fifty six thousand dollar policy. This is was in Grand Isle, uh, the where they took the, the brunt of the the Hurricane Ida coming in. They had flood from below, and then they had wind from above. And the guy wrote a valuation for about forty thousand dollars, and he's got paint or he's got polyurethane. The trim, which is sealer. There's there's not any wood in there that's not painted. Why are you putting polyurethane in there? And he's got like three line items in each room. This guy, I can guarantee you, when we look at his history, he got licensed six months ago. And he went out with his carriers and these carriers on day one said, here, and, and, and people do not catch this part and they absolutely should. What is your home to most people? Your most valuable asset the largest investment you've ever made and probably the largest investment you're ever going to make. If we can understand that, that I shouldn't file my own taxes because I don't, I don't do that shit. That's what I say. <laughs> I should go get the tax guy to do it. 
And I, and I'm that way about everything. I don't care what it is. If somebody else does it, I'm going to take it to you and I'm going to let you have the headache and do all of the stuff. And if you do something wrong, they're going to come after you. They're not going to come after me because I, that's why I hired you to make sure that I didn't do anything wrong. Right. I like the tip. I like the tip one better. What do you tip your waiter? I like that one. Better. Yeah. And, and that's a good sales tactic. Uh, and, and it really shouldn't be a sale, but sometimes it is. It uh, unfortunately are, is because everyone is yeah. so brainwashed that they think the insurance company is looking out for them and that they're going to go over there and they're going to pay them what they need. And well, it never and, happens. And not and only here's that, the thing they, is, go ahead. They don't, they're not able to, they're not business people. So they're not able to, and they don't have a business sense. They're not able to say, wait a second, for 10%, I don't, I don't have to talk to those people anymore. I don't have to do anything. I don't, I don't, it's, I just let you take care of it. Yeah. So you're paying me 10% for a service. You're not paying me 10% to get you more money. You're paying me 10% to come in and perform under the policy. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, the result is that you're going to get more money. But uh, that's not our job. I think it's interesting that you also mentioned the fact that half of your students uh, are former adjusters on the other side. I get the same thing all the time in our courses. We get former independent adjusters in our meetups that we have and our group gatherings that we do, our little, you know, little mini events that we do. Uh, we I get like a- them, then promote them. A ton of independent adjusters, and they're just sick and tired. They're sick and tired of going in there thinking that what they're doing is, um, you know, doing the best that they can for the insured, doing the best they can for the policyholder, and putting them back to their pre-loss conditions. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to save you. I'm here to save the day. I'm here to help. Here's this estimate for three hundred thousand dollars to do everything that you need to do to do what you have to do. Let me submit it to the insurance company and forget about it. But then when they start to find out about what happens to those estimates, that's of them that put together and they just get samurai sword sliced and diced into just $50,000. Then they're just like, wait, and, what and am I doing this for? Let's look at it like this. $50,000 according to what? What was best for the insurance company. Exactly. And that damn policy was never written with that intent. Uh, one of the things I love about boot camp so much is uh, when, when we go over the coverages and we go over the uh, additional coverages and we get to the uh, Service charge for the for a fire, uh, the part where if you if you pay uh, if you have a fire and the fire department comes out and they assess you know a five hundred dollar fee, then the, the policy will actually pay that without charging you a deductible. So the way that we look at it in class is kind of two different ways. Number one, the person couldn't afford the deductible to begin with. If they had the fire, say, and I think of my mother, you know, when she she had a fire. Uh, if you paid the $500, it would really put you out for the deductible and they put the fire out. So there's no more money. So that policy was intended. If you look at that fire, uh, if that, that section of the policy, it shows you the true intent of what the policy is. It shows you that they intended to make sure that the insured was made whole. Uh, it wasn't until uh, 10, 15 years after they got this thing started and they got the bean counters involved and the bean counters said, wait a second, we can't go around paying everything that we owe. If we do, then we'll make less money. So when the bean counters got involved, then they started to whack things down. Like you're talking about putting in a $300,000 estimate. Uh, there's, there's two, there's two screwings going on there. Uh, the insurance getting screwed no matter what, but that IA is also getting screwed because they're taken away from his fee schedule and yes. then turning around and paying it from the desk side. Right. So, you know, and, and these are all manipulations uh, contrived to do one thing. Uh, you know what? Something's blown my mind here recently. It's occurred to me that we forgot why we have prompt payment statutes. It's just like feed the bear signs. 
how many people did the bear have to maul before somebody finally said, hey, let's let's, you know, stick a sign up there that says don't do this anymore. Why do you think it, that's why these limits and these statutes and the and these that's why these things occur because of the amount of times that people have, have have had to wait months and years just to get a payment to get somebody out. I still have claims to this day, Cal, that they take three weeks just to inspect the property when they're supposed to be out there as soon as possible. As soon as the claim is filed, they're supposed to be out there within fourteen days to inspect the loss. If not, you know, I mean, it's 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 the job. It's it's our duty to provide all the documentation. It's our duty and our insured's duty to notify the insurance company. Well, son of a bitch, you need to come out and inspect it too. And sometimes they just yes. take forever to do that too. So that's why, yeah, I agree with you. Thank God that we've got these things now put in place that at least we can hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable. That's what Paul. That's what the conference is about. Policy Elder Preservation Association of America is about we don't want you taking any more of our rights. You've taken and trampled on enough that we have. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that you don't take no more and that we go back and retrieve some of the things like Texas uh, 2017. They reduced the penalty for carriers when they got caught doing the deed. Now, let's just look at that scenario right there. We're not talking about your best day. We're not talking about when you came out and did everything that you were supposed to do. No, we're talking about when we actually caught you with your pants down doing the thing with intent. You're in trouble. We're, we're now at the penalty phase. So we've already agreed that they're in trouble, and this is the penalty for that. They reduced that penalty by roughly half. So you have a child that's fixing to be born into this world. What they've done is the equivalent of your child being six years old and saying, Daddy, I want a cookie. And you say, no, you can't have one because dinner's coming. You walk off and come back and he's got chocolate chip hanging out the corner of his mouth. And you go, did you, did you get that cookie? I did, Dad. And you're saying, okay, here's another cookie. Don't ever do it again. That's precisely what that is. If you cut the fee in half the, of the penalty, you literally gave them a whole cookie for nothing. Right. Why would you do that? Why would you make the penalties less? Because you got some damn good lobbyists. And then we talk about that. That's another whole source of it. We keep on saying that the insurance company has lobbied themselves into the, you know, to our government. That's a bunch of shit. They're in the government. They're you in look it. At, yes. If you look at Congress doesn't know how to do insurance and they don't know anything about insurance. So they allegedly pull in people that know what's going on. Uh, but then if you go to start looking at this, you go, okay, wait a second. You've got an agent that's, that's the senator who's sitting as the head chair of the uh, insurance committee and making all the new legislation and anything that he does that doesn't make his company spends more money than what, what happens to him? He doesn't get he makes more money or yeah, yeah. but well, he, you know, he's making that money because that's his, uh, if, if he had in Texas is specific, but we have a whole bunch of, them. there's actually a place on the, the insurance busters website where I went in and took the whole committee every single person on the committee and broke it down to where they were tied back to the insurance. In, in essence, every time that when I took that, when I reduced your penalty by half means that me and all of my friends are paying half of what we were paying before. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, next time they'll try to half it again, and we'll be down at a quarter. Uh, so I don't want to see that shit happen anymore. We then think of COVID-19. And you and I both are in beautiful places for us to see exactly what's going on because both of our governors told them to go take a hike. Uh, Texas has been open almost since day one and Florida has been open since day one. But what did we have in place? There was a moratorium on uh, 
claims handling that extended that claims handling deadline out by 100% more time. So in Texas, for instance, uh, regular, regular claims handling time is five business days or five day, 15 days to acknowledge, 15 business days to investigate, five business days to pay. With the COVID-19 ruling, uh, once the governor says it's a state of emergency, then the commissioner comes in and says, okay, we're going to put a, uh, we're going to give them some extra time. So in Texas, they gave them 15 extra days on each one of those timelines. So you have the 15 days to acknowledge plus 15. 15 business days to investigate plus 15. Five business days to pay plus 15. If the intent was to, yeah, 15, it's 15 to all of them. If the intent was for the insurance company to hold the money so that they can hedge it, they just gave themselves 45 days. So if you remember when, uh, when um, last year, the, the gentleman from uh, Chubb CEO Evans, I think Greg Evans or something like that, he got up in front of a whole room full of, uh, of industry folks and said, hey, this is going to be an earnings event. You know, COVID-19 is going to be an earnings event. All of us, understandably, were mad until you really put the, put the thought process to it. Y'all are already screwing everybody over on claims. How is this going to help? And then you start to understand, okay, wait a second. Texas has been wide open this entire time. They didn't lift the restriction on COVID-19 until September 21st. And then it had to be any claim that was filed after September 21st that would be under regular statute. Anything before that and from the time that this actually happened, they got an extra 45 days to, and they took it. We can prove by our data very quickly. You can see where they put the thing into effect and and what what the order actually said was, Try to get, you know, we're going to give you this additional time, but try to get these claims resolved as fast as you possibly can. They didn't do that. They took the full amount of time on every, if, if you chose 2021 to become a public insurance adjuster and you weren't financially secure before you tried, it was a horrible year for you to pick to be a public adjuster. What normally would take us 30, 45 days to get something paid, closed, now automatically took 90 to 120 before it even got, you know, specific to start screaming at them. If, if you haven't passed the, the timeline, nothing I can say to you. Yes, I'm pissed off about it. Yes, it's bullshit. But there's also a statute right there that give you authority to do so. So what can I do about that? And the answer, unfortunately, not a damn thing. Well, unfortunately, it's still hard for anybody to start off in this industry because of how long they take to, to pay a claim. You know, it's a struggle that a lot of my guys have, and it's a struggle that I hear from a lot of new public adjusters. They're just like, hey, I became a public adjuster six months ago. I haven't really gotten anything paid. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you got to be prepared for this. It's unfortunate. You got, a, you got another six. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but six. It, is, it is what it is. I mean, they're using every possible delay tactic that they, they could ever imagine, even if you hold them accountable to all of these deadlines and you file complaints like we do as well. Eventually, you might even end up in litigation because of their delay tactics. And then we know it's going to take some time there too. So I tell people all the time, like whether it's 2021 or 2025, the insurance company is always going to find ways to deny, deny, delay, and defend. So make sure you have some money saved up before you get into this exactly. industry or you know maybe have a little bit of a part-time job to make some income, but it's going to take some time because of all the tactics that they use. Um, and I know we use a lot of the same tactics, uh, tactics as you, you know, we hold them to the 14 day, um, the 14 day timeline. We hold them to 30 days after a proof of loss. Uh, we don't normally even get to the 90 days. Actually, I was having a meeting with my admin today. We've got 90 days for them to complete the file. Uh, we usually never even get there. 
a lot of times. Uh, and what's funny is as I was talking to my admins about it, because we had two new admins and we were going through the whole life of a claim and how we handle it and how everything sort of goes. What we were talking about was, um, oh God, was I just lost my train of thought. Oh, our tactic is to follow up every seven days. Same, same. <laughs> Right. So every, every seven days we follow up and then we hold them accountable to all the different statutes and all the different timelines. Um, a tactic that is used by many public adjusting firms, unfortunately, is to is the disappearing act. Yeah, they submit yeah. their they submit their estimate. They submit their claims package, whatever that claim package may be. You mean they actually submitted an estimate? Uh, no, <laughs> sometimes. Yes, sometimes. No. Mostly no. Yes. Go ahead. You know, our thing is we're going to, we're going to fight. And then the other thing is too, is another thing that we've been um, not struggling with, but I'm trying to, my goal is to, is to settle the claim ultimately. And if I could avoid going to litigation, I will. I think one place that you and I differ is I am willing to negotiate a little bit on, on my estimate to try to resolve the claim. That being said, we've got mediation, we've got appraisal, and we try to submit estimates to try to request supplements. And we try to use every single one of those tactics before actually going to litigation. But let's, what let's, we ask, do- what, let's, let's ask one question in that. Who's holding the money while that's going on? Unfortunately, the insurance company. See, there's the kicker, and that's why I do it the way that I do it. That, that is exactly what they want, and that's what each one of those things are set there for, is to give them a little bit more money, a little bit more Good time point. to hold that money. And it doesn't have – people erroneously think, well, they make money off not paying claims, or they make money off holding. They don't make money off either one of those. They make money off hedging that money that they're holding and that they owe uh, on everything that comes across. Uh, a real easy way for to explain it for me, and, and one of the ways I usually do it in camp, is to think about corn. Think think if you were a guy that sat inside of a rail yard, and all you did all day long was you sold corn. And you ship out of there every day 20 cars of corn on a rail station. All 20 cars are insured. And they're insured prior to them ever leaving the yard. And if anything changes, that guy has to contact his insurance carrier and tell him what? Hey, I'm going up or I'm going down, but he has to tell them one way or the other. So if I'm shipping 20 cars of corn out a day, and then one day I call the carrier up and say, hey, from here to the foreseeable future, that's going to double. So I need to raise those premiums because I'm going to be shipping 40 cars now. Who did I just tell what? I just told the son of a bitch that had all the money that he probably should go buy corn. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm now I'm up in 100% production. Everything is insured. They're getting their data. The numbers that you and I and the whole entire world could use to become extraordinarily wealthy, but it's illegal. They have figured out a way to get you to report to them what you're selling before you sell it. And if they can figure out a way to get you to tell them what you're selling and how much of it before you do it, that means they can come in on the front. And it's a specific type of insider trading that is going on where they're using that data to purchase up that corn. And all they got to do is look you dead in the eye when they know that they owe you a million dollars and say, yeah, I don't know your shit. Well, I'm going to go to appraisal. Good. That gives me 60, 90 days to hold on to this a little bit more. Uh, each one of the and every every single thing that we talked about, every single thing that you mentioned off that you do in order to try to close that claim out. They did that. They put it in design. They made it happen, and it happens exactly as they wanted to. If you look at our claims environment today, they made it 
they dictate it, and it's exactly what they want to see. And if it's not, then they go to try to change it. If we look at OOPA in Texas, OOPA in Florida, I don't think the contractors should be performing claims. For those that you don't know, OOPA is the unlicensed uh, practice of public adjusting. Yes, and it's a bunch of shit. Uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't know. The contractor thing, what, Cal, drives me up the wall. Well, and, and I don't think that they should be helping uh, in the claims process. But I'm also smart enough to know that we could take every single public adjuster in the entire United States, sit them right here in Louisiana today, and we could not affect the claims that are here with the entire profession. So by putting UPA in place, what we're saying really is, is that the last line of defense, which is the contractors, that's the absolute last line of defense for the, for the insured, that we're going to tie their hands. That means that the insurance company only has to deal with you and I and the attorneys. You have taken the largest block of people out. But if we look at your, your licensing in Florida, same thing as in Texas, who can, who can work a claim that's already designated out in the license statute? Lupa is a baseball bat, standing all alone, all by itself, reiterating what we've already got in writing in the current law. So the folks that got that thing put, and some of them were public adjusters who, you know, again, if you're telling me that if you can't help them, that you don't want them to get help at all, because that's what you're saying. You're saying, if I can't help you, then you, you get no help. There's no help for you. If you can say that, you're probably not somebody I want to hang around with. Right. Or spend any time with that. That's selfish to the uh, utmost extreme. Right. So what do we they do about play this? On our, what do we do well, about we, this unlicensed practice of public adjusting? Because it happens. It's it's a lot. It's everywhere. It's all over. Yeah. And they don't they don't give a shit. You know why? Because they'd rather deal with the contractor than with the licensed and professional. Well, and, and, and I use public adjuster. Uh, Joe. I use Joe Ratcliffe a lot. Uh, and I don't I don't know him other than on Facebook. We know each other pretty good from Facebook, but we've never met each other. But he has a unique situation that is easy to explain what happened, and it's all very public. Uh, if you look up Joe Radcliffe versus State Farm, he's got the largest defamation lawsuit against uh, anybody in the United States against State Farm, 14.2 or 14.6 million that he won. Now, Joe was just fine with it until he started charging too much. And then when he started charging too much, they showed up with the DA. Uh, the sheriff's office, put him in handcuffs, put him in jail, slandered his name all the way across the whole deal. Uh, and it is a very good example of from good hands to boxing gloves. As long as Joe was doing what they wanted him to do and not charging them any more than they wanted to pay, then Joe was a good guy to them. But the second that he said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm literally paying you to work for you. I can't do this anymore. So I'm going to have to start charging the right amounts. Then when he started charging the right amounts, they literally targeted him and came after him and were able to get an entire prosecutor's office to go after him based upon what they said. Now, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's not. I've had several appointments where I've, I've met with the adjuster out there. And he's an asshole. Just straight up piece of shit. And I told him, you know what? It's time for you to leave. And they tell me, you know, I, I don't have to go anywhere. This is my client. Oh. Now, you see this notice to the insurance company that says that I'm the boss here? That's right. You're only here for this claim. I'm the boss and you need to leave. And they say no. And I say, okay, hang tight. I'm going to call the cops. The cops will be That's here it. and they'll tell you to leave. When the cops pull up, they see the guy with the progressive shirt on or state farm shirt, whatever shirt that they may say. Uh, and they automatically think he's a good guy. And they're like, well, this guy's a, and he, well, I'm the insurance company. And then I look at him and go, yeah, he's the one that didn't pay your claim. 
and you can see the but the initial thought is that this guy's right because he's from the carrier always until you put it into perspective the second you put it into perspective everything changes yeah so you need to get your shit and get, get off of here I've we had one him, guy we, i've thrown several guys out of the pro- off the property several oh yeah we we were at a at a you know two million dollar house and they had white persian carpet mm-hmm. it's raining massively like not not a little bit of rain it, it's coming down and this guy wants to walk in we both got water all the way up to our thighs and all of our stuff is completely wet he's wanting to walk in i said yeah you're not that's not gonna happen well yeah it is he literally went down hit behind a wall came back and i knew you know was watching the whole thing but the worst part of it was we document everything this thing went to litigation the opposing counsel comes out and has this litany of shit saying that I did all this stuff. So the attorney pulls out the police report and goes, that's, no, that's not at all what this says. <laughs> this says your guy was trespassing and he was made to leave. And, and this is an actual police document. So that's a testament to documenting your file real time while you're out there. Exactly what happened, what's going on. The life you saved may be your own. Uh, and in that instance right there, you know, the, his word against mine, except for you go back and you look at the police report and you look at my, uh, my adjuster checklist that we always fill out the thing we give out in camp and it coordinates the police coordinates with what I'm saying. Everything coordinates with what's going on. And you may not like me, but you can't really say where I've lied to you at. You may, you may say Kyle's a hard ass. He, he, you know, he is going to go to litigation. I absolutely am going to go to litigation because I've understood for me personally, the hardest pill I had to swallow was that I couldn't, finish the damn thing for me personally as a human being that was something that just ate me alive for about the first five years but slowly as realization came along it's kind of like a you know uh it's liberating to me to finally understand okay i do have limits and unfortunately they've set those limits right here and i can run right up to them but if i go over them then what i'm really doing is practicing law and the last thing that I want to do is lose my license or be accused of practicing law. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it up to the limits of what my profession will allow me to do. And I'm going to give you every opportunity that you can to do the right thing. And if you choose not to, then you're going to face the consequences and I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you've made this system that way. That's the only way that this system actually works is if we if we get you into when we cut that time limit down from them spending, uh, you know, if you think about appraisal right now. It's six months before anybody says, let's go to appraisal. And then when they do say, let's go to appraisal, let's go back and look at that same policy. And it's one of the very few times that there is a time limit put on something inside of that policy. And it's 20 days for the insured to name their appraiser. Mm -hmm. Is there a time limit when they're supposed to finish the appraisal? Mm -mm. No. Why do you believe that the time limit for the insured to pick that appraiser is in there? Why? They have to spend cash. You have to pay for your appraiser. When, when right. in, in sales at all, when, when does the pavement hit the road? The second you tell that son of a bitch, you owe some money. You, you right. got to pay some cash. You mean I got to pay from my pocket? Yes, from your pocket. Yeah, no, I don't. I, 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 I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> right. You mean there's no guarantee? No, there's no guarantee, but you got to pay them out. So they're very clever. Uh, they literally have figured out so many ways to benefit themselves by little avenues. But understanding, you know, human nature, the second you tell the human being that you got to pay some money for this thing that you were supposed to get paid, they're going to say no. How many fell off from the appraisal deal simply from that part? You have to pay for the appraisal. 
And if you don't pay for that appraiser up front, many people will say, well, we wait till the end. Then you can call that shit whatever you want to call it. But what you just did was made yourself a contingency fee contract. And that, you know, you, you disqualify yourself and everything else that's going on by doing so. No, you need to do this way the policy says, impartial. You need to charge a fee for it. And this is what it is. And whatever happens out of it's whatever happens. It's out of my control. I don't like that. But I absolutely don't like the fact that it took them six months to get there. And then if they do go through with it and they do pay the, the, the appraisal fee, more than likely we're going to see an umpire. Why are we going to see an umpire? Because they pick the same son of a bitches that yeah. claims to begin with to do the appraisers. Yeah. And they can't pay because if they pay, then what happens? No more appraisals for you. No more appraisals for you. <laughs> how much of your business is appraisal for this carrier? Well, well I'm not really sure. Well, how many right. other people are you working for? Well, just them. So I would say 100%. Guy. Right. <laughs> that's, not, that's not something we have to go back and look at. You have 100% of your work is coming from them. Uh, and if they told you that they don't pay for this, then what's that mean? It means that you don't pay for it. I've only done two appraisals my entire career. And I only did them in Florida after Hurricane Michael and only because the, the PA that had it before us jacked them really bad. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a horrible thing and there was no option but to do the appraisal. And the reason that I did the appraisal and I did it just like I did a regular claim. We put everything in there and the guy comes out and he says, yeah, I can't pay for that because they won't let me. We'll have to go to an, an umpire. So now we got to go get the insurance to pay some more money. More money. And go to this umpire to get. And the umpires, you know, ex-judges and, and people yep. that, you know, they, they've all received money from the carriers. And some, are we doing that? Are we, are we, are we cross-checking? I didn't even think about that till just now. This is good. The umpires? Uh, yeah. Are, are, are we looking for uh, conflicts of interest of, of what those, especially if they're ex-judges, were, were they ever given contributions uh, for campaign funds or for any other reason? If we look at, uh, this is a good one for everybody, Justice Cormier. Uh, he was Supreme Court justice, and I believe it's Illinois where it was at. State Farm got hit with a billion-dollar verdict over the automotive side. Justice Cormier was running for office. They donated, allegedly in the beginning, they donated $100,000. Now, the ethics board got involved in it. They looked at it, and, and this is another one of those things. They said, oh, it's just $100,000. Just $100,000? That's a lot of dollars. And I really wouldn't care if it was $1. Uh, you had a conflict in there that, that you shouldn't be paying the people that are going to come after and can be helping you. I don't care how much it is. So the ethics committee said, well, you know, we're, we're going to say that that's okay. Well, son of a bitch, the guy gets elected and he overturns. He is the one of the, the opinions when it overturns and one of the votes that overturned it. They overturned that billion-dollar verdict. So then the FBI gets involved. Several people have gotten involved since that point. They've proven not only did State Farm give them the 100000 but there was $4 million paid to that judge's campaign. And through, wow. again, we, we, know, we know when we look at somebody and they did something, you can tell when somebody happenstanced into something and it was just, you know, it was kind of a snowball ball effect. They did this thing and that netted this thing. And next thing you know, there's all this other stuff going on. This wasn't one of those things. <laughs> this was one of those things where they had operatives all over the place. They had mechanisms and vehicles set up. If you look at any law, they tell you, don't break this law. And by us putting law, that shouldn't limit you from trying to find vehicles or avenues around what that law is. Well, Louisiana, a perfect example. Can't have a contingency fee contract and you can't charge a percentage. And there's no vehicle that you can make 
to flip you back around to get it. You actually have to, if you look at my folders from today, it tells exactly when I left the office, tells when I showed up on site, how much time that I spent there because we charge $500 an hour. Now we do cap it at 10%. You're never going to, we're never going to charge you more than 10%, but we charge 500 bucks an hour and whatever those hours legitimately are, that's what we're going to charge you for. Um, so you can see where that can, yeah, that, that you can literally change the way things are going at that point. How's the, how's it going there? How's, how's the process like over there uh, as a, as a public adjuster? I mean, it's much different, right? Than, uh, it, our normal it is. Day -to -day? And, and it's different everywhere. The people here are quite a bit different. When you hear Cajuns, Cajuns are a real thing. That's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> can you even it's understand them? Can you even understand them? Yeah, you can understand them, but you know, they're, they're, if you live south of that I-10 line, you're a hardy person. Uh, there's nothing but heartache on this side of that I-10 line when you're in Louisiana. And I don't care who you are, if you like it, you don't like it. Life is hard south of I-10 in Louisiana. Uh, hurricanes, every bad thing that could absolutely happen, that they're getting a, a hit of it. Think of the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been Laura, terrible. Delta, yeah, that just one over another. Uh, and luckily, Donlin, which is their commissioner here, he seems to be... How do I say it? He seems to be open to trying to help and do things. And he even went so far, and which I didn't approve of. And, and one of the, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. He came out uh, shortly after uh, the event and said, you know, I'm encouraged. He put a memorandum out. I'm encouraging all insurers to pay the ALE, uh, even though that there wasn't a mandatory evacuation. Every single carrier in the state said, hey, we're going to we're going to go ahead and do that. But you and I both know they were lying. They had no intent of doing it anyway, but they were at least given lip service. State Farm stood up in the middle of all of them and said, no, screw you. <laughs> we're not doing that. We're, we're just not going to do that. And everybody got mad. And I'm, I'm like, literally, hold up a second. Right. I'm with State Farm here. If we have a contract in place that says specifically when I'm going to pay and when I'm not going to pay. No third party should be able to come in here and tell me otherwise, lest we start a trend that you can come tell me on my contract after the fact right. what it is and what it's not. So we never want to go down that road where we're, where we're trying to change something that's inside of a document that's there unless it breaks the law. And which is exactly what Donlin did. And he got egg on his face for it because they were absolutely right. You want to contest this? Let's get it on. Uh, this is a constitutional deal. This is not just simply an insurance thing. This is the contract law. Are you telling me that they that the that the mayor was uh, was was the insurance commissioner? The insurance commissioner was saying to pay ALE even if the house is livable. Yeah, well, no, to to pay all the people ALE because they they weren't livable. They didn't have any power down here. There was no power. There was no water. There was nothing. It was bad. Bad. They were not livable here. But he was saying to do it on his order, which even is if, not correct. Even if there was no if, coverage for it, he, he didn't specified that was the whole problem oh. he was just saying you need to go ahead and pay this <clears throat> now the reality of it was there was usually an evacuation order they're all used to that that's what everybody's used to triggering ale here there's an evacuation order that evacuation order is a government entity and then it, it triggers the policy and ale is due at that point there was no evacuation that's why the problem came up but and here's what should have happened he should have made it retroactive on the evacuation and explained his reasoning. We did not evacuate because it was too damn late. By the time that thing hit to where we knew what was going to happen and exactly where it was going to hit at, if we would have said to everybody, hey, you need to evacuate now, 
it would have been mass hysteria. And we, we would have seen, uh, I don't remember if you remember or not, but 2006, maybe the end of 2005, Hurricane Rita, Houston, they tried to evacuate the area. People died on the side of the road. Uh, there was literally, that's where the contra lanes that you see now came from, was that, oh. that uh, incident. They tried to evacuate the city. And it went to hell in a handbasket. All the gas stations ran out of fuel. There were literally lines and lines of people for hundreds of miles long, all the way out of every route out of Houston, Texas. So instead of doing that here, lessons learned, I I give them kudos to that. Lessons learned, don't do that. It's it's better to try to stick it out here at this point. But they did not give the evacuation order for that specific reason. We're not going to evacuate because it will cause mass hysteria and will do way worse than what it would have ever helped. That should have been the consensus on why they didn't, uh, you know, what he was saying to pay the deal. If the policy pay, what he should have said was if the policy provides for ALE, then you should be paying the ALE. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yeah, in the policy doesn't. Then you don't pay. They're not, un- they're not understanding that, that the evacuation order is not the only trigger. And I guess that's probably the best way to say it. They were, they, they were trying to put it under the guise that evacuation was the only way that you would get paid ALE. That's incorrect. The policy doesn't say that. The policy says when it becomes unlivable. And so what are some nothing to do with that? And what are some of the headaches that you're dealing with as a public adjuster with these claims out there in Louisiana specific? Because I haven't gone out there. Me, it's really no different. The, nope. the, the biggest difference here is not the, is the the fact that you can't do contingency. Um, so. So the hourly, that's the biggest thing. But as far as communicating with the insurance company, um, I mean, you're still providing your claim package and you're doing what you have to do. But as far as the desk adjuster, inside adjusters, field adjusters, whoever it is that you're meeting, as far as communicating with them, everything's been pretty smooth? Pretty smooth. As always? But for us, you know, that normally when we go out, we have a, a, a reputation. Uh, it precedes us everywhere we go and, and they send specific people to deal with us. So we no- normally deal with a bunch of idiots. We get somebody that at least has a little bit of information up, up the bottom. So I may not be seeing the same thing that everybody else is seeing, and that shouldn't happen anyway. Uh, that's discrimination. You're telling me that, that any insured that I have, they're going to go through a different ringer simply because they have me. They shouldn't be doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. I heard it's bad. I heard it's really bad, but I'm glad you're out there. The, doing dam- what you the to damage do. is bad. Uh, the claim is just another client. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, you know what I wanted to do? Uh, let's talk about duties after the loss. Let's do it. I know my you're talking section. about that. I know it is. It's my favorite section. I know and it we've is. We've actually been talking about it this whole time. We've just been on fringe of it. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening, and I'm sure there's still, uh, once we put this up, I'm sure there's going to be still be a lot of people listening even after an hour or so. Um, this is like, in my opinion, this is like, Kyle's like sweet spot. This is like it. And he educated me tremendous. I mean, I've always been doing this for long enough. Duh. I know what the duties after the loss was, but the way Cal is able to um, articulate uh, all the different, like almost every single word that are involved, that's involved in, under the duties after the loss and how important it is and how important our role is as public adjusters to make sure that we are following these duties after the loss to the point where our fee, we should be actually charging for the I knew services you were there. <laughs> we should be charging for our services. It's something that I'm still trying to implement that I'm still having trouble doing and I'm sharing it with others as well. Uh, so that's why I wanted to bring it up, but uh, I'm going to share the screen. I'm going to share the screen and uh, we're going to just, just, just a random policy, nothing crazy, but uh, we're in the duties after the loss here. And we are, so for those of you who are listening and not watching, we just have a random policy up here and we're at the duties after the loss. Um, go ahead, Cal. Um, if, if we look 
let's let's talk about let's let's do a couple of uh, intros into this. Number one, the fee. We we just started doing this maybe a year, maybe a little bit more than a year ago. When we oh, started you did? Having, I thought yeah. you've been doing it forever and a day. No, no, I, and I've I've been clear everywhere that I put it. This is something that we're doing, and, and we expect to see in litigation, but we have to start it before we can actually see it in the litigation. Hundred percent. Yes. Now here here's the caveat inside of that. If you didn't fill out a proof of loss, I better not say that 10% on there because you're going to be the son of a bitch that they take to the courtroom and decide that you don't deserve the 10%. Here's the problem with that. When they decide that you don't deserve it, then they're going to take that and run with it and say, no PA deserves it. Right. That's, the, that's what I do not want to see happen. And I can guarantee you that's what they're going to do. I litigate about 90% of all claims. Never seen a courtroom. Not one single time have they tested it all the way to the end of it and said, and there's a reason behind that. Of course. Precedent. They're not going to pick me to come fight with me over the fee about whether we're uh, deserving of the fee or not. They're going to pick the person that did not perform. So if they pick that person that did not perform, they're going to have a case law that says this PA, whoever it was, John Doe, did not perform the duties that they were supposed to perform under their license. Therefore, they're not deserving of that fee. I didn't say that none of the PAs were deserving of it. I said that you specifically, if you John did not Doe, perform, are not exactly. So I want to make sure that we we made that clear, and hopefully, all the people that are listening. I've seen some instances of this already. I've been contacted by Badger about this already, and you know, to me, and especially when when Badger contacted us over it. You know, it, and it's really one of the first times that I ever told him, you know, hey, uh, I shot him an email back and said, you know, out of all the people that I would believe that would have a problem with this, you would be the last one that I would think that we were having to explain it to. And what it actually tells us is that they don't understand either. The lie has been so good that the people perpetrating the lie are not even aware that it's a lie anymore. So if I told you for the last 10 years that that Blue sky outside was actually pink. After so long, you begin to believe that that blue is pink. It's been going on so long now. Think about most of the PPAs that you know uh, and how they perform claims. And if you ask them, well, what do you do? We've done what we've always done. (laughs) (laughs) But they really can't tell you what that is. And it's just whatever the people in the office have done heretofore to get a claim, you know, passed. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. We just go out. We sling it around. We go fight with them a little bit. We try to get them to pay whatever we can. And then we move forward. I did a video. Uh, I did a video once. It was like a quick. I wanted to do it quick. It was like a one or two minute video. And I was like, all right, are you ready? I'm going to list off everything that a public adjuster can do for you throughout your claim. And I just went, bum, 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 bum for a whole minute. Just boom, one thing after another documentation. And I'm like, is that a nice list or what? Like people think we don't, you know, if you're doing your job correctly, just following the duties after the loss itself is a task in itself. It's yeah. a task. Pull, pull a that back stuff. up there. We'll pull that back up there and we'll go, we'll go over a couple things on it. Okay. We're all looking at the same thing. So if we look at that uh, subsection two, duties after loss, the first thing that I always make sure that everybody understands is that you notice that it doesn't say the insurance company's duties under there. Uh, there's, this is your duties after loss. So, <laughs> These are things that you must perform and that they are not supposed to perform. 
In case of covered prop- a loss to covered property, we have no duty to provide coverage under the policy if the failure to comply with the following duties is prejudicial to us. Now that's that's a little bit different. I'm not used to seeing that in there, but that's and that's actually what it is, and that's that's the truest part that it could be. And here's what aggravates me so much. Is that not pretty clear right there? Yep. Does that not say that you, you need to do these things? Yep. We got a list that we're going to give you down below and you need to do these things. And we do not okay. have to provide coverage to your claim if you do not. Exactly. Now, let's let's read this next part. These duties must be performed by either, either by seeing this by either by. And this may be one of those policies that we need to let Sarah look at. Sarah Parker. Uh, oh, she's Sarah's compiling awesome, policies man. together. Sarah's, Sarah's well, great. if you if you look at the grammar, it's, it's how you can tell scammers. Uh, when you get the scam over the email, when you look at the grammar, if the grammar is bad, that's a number one indicator that something is not correct. Uh, and it's probably somebody from another country because they don't quite get the, the language. When you have stuff in here like this where it says performed by either by. You see what I'm looking at? Yep. I don't think that's right. I think somebody put that shit in there. <laughs> well, what <laughs> do you mean? We, but why, why, why are you so why are you on that either by so much? Because they changed it. It means the policy has changed. You know, when you look at exactum and you see the asterisk, what does right. the asterisk tell you? That it's been something's changed. changed. Right. If you've changed something in this fucking policy, I want to know about it. Uh-huh. And if you didn't gotcha. tell any about it, why, 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 are, why are you making any changes whatsoever? Right. So uh, oh, that would be the, the one of the things. And then, you know, making sure that we're seeing that's why we want certified policies. We want somebody to get in there and say, yes, I put my name and my license that that is the policy that was in effect at the loss. Right. Remember when we uh, through class, we even went up. Can, can you do me a favor? Because you've got control over there. Can you can you do a Google search for duty? Pull up that word duty. I love it when you do this, too. <laughs> Where's my mouse? And what, and what I'm asking him to do for those in the audience, I, I want him to pull up the, the very first definition that he comes and we're going to we're going to look at it. We don't even have to go there. You could see it up on the screen. A moral or legal obligation, a responsibility to a task or action someone is required to perform. Now, let's pull that policy back up. Normally, I have control of all this. <laughs> okay. These duties must be performed by either you and insured seeking coverage or a representative of either. Okay, who are they talking about? Us. Yes. This is what everybody needs to get on the same page on. This is where we affect real changes right here, right now, when we understand. You're required duties. You've got to do them. Duties must be performed by either by you, an insured seeking coverage, or a representative who can legally represent an insured after a loss. Public adjuster. Or attorney. Or an attorney. Exactly. So now let's look at the public adjusting statute. This is a biggie right here. This is how we came to be. If you're going to require by stack, by the policy that somebody perform for that insured, there must be a license for that person to perform. I right. think you're catching it. I'm, I'm only seeing a small picture of you over in the right hand corner, but it looks like you're getting what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. They didn't have a choice. Right. They had to put a license. Now, they didn't ever expect or want it to get to the place that it's at right now, but but it's we're there uh, and they forced us. This is this is my reasoning to say that I would like to see in the next five to six years an independent body mm-hmm. that is not beholden to the insurance company, that is not beholden to the insured, that the, the claims payment is like right now. When we put our 10 percent fee in and, and we add it to the to the valuation for them to pay it, 
that should not, if you had $500,000 worth of coverage, you should get all $500,000 worth of coverage. And our, our fee, the $50,000 that we would charge, that should be taxed as part of the investigative part of the, of the claim. And the insurance right. company should absolutely play that. Now, right. if they choose to, to get all these other people in to try to save money, it's going to cost you some more money. But you really only need two people involved. You needed your representative to check over their representative stuff. Who is their legal representative again? Us. And I'm, I'm just going to stop and go back on this one more time because it is that important. These duties must be performed by either you, and I can't even read it right because my, my grammar deal wants me to stop it. But the correct reading, these duties must be performed by either by you and then see the placement of, and I keep getting caught on this. I know that I am. But see the placement of the comma? Uh -huh. This is a doctored, this is a doctored document. <clears throat> There's I a space in between you and the comma. Exactly. This has been doctored by somebody for some reason or another. Uh, and this is what makes me good at what I do. That's <laughs> I'm hilarious. Always I didn't even, the, you know, I was, I was diving deep into this policy yesterday and I didn't, I didn't even notice that. And, I, and I'm only, I'm not even one paragraph in. We hadn't even got past the third paragraph. But this is why it's so crucial to get the policy. Think of your continuing education. If you've been in this for two years and you've had to do continuing education, and the next time that the listeners are doing continuing education, do me a favor. Put you a pad on the side of it. And every time that it tells you to read the policy, I want you to make a mark on that damn paper. And at the end of your CE, at the end of your 24 hours, whatever it is that your state requires, I think everybody's went to the 24-hour CE, uh, whatever that is, count up how many times they told you to read the policy. And this just isn't us. This is the IAs and the staff adjusters as well. How many staff adjusters have you met out on, on or independent, either one, a carrier adjuster, let's just call them that and get away from the staff and the independent because they're about the same thing. Uh, how many of them have actually read a policy that you've met? Probably none. Yeah. And I asked them, it's one of the questions on the deal. Have you read the policy? No, no they, have all these, they have all these templates, Cal. They just send these letters with these templates and they just put all this bullshit yeah. when they send these denial letters and stuff. And it's see, the, the problem with the template crap. you see up here, you see up here where it says that that comma is separated by space on both sides and the grammar is bad. They can never get it right. And, and we can we can actually use COVID-19 as a as a good uh, a good reference point. The government come out and said, OK, this is what we want you to do. And many governments said, OK, that, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to leave it there. But we had some other governors that went crazy. They they stepped it up multiple notches. They closed everything down did all this crazy right. stuff. And, and what I'm getting at is that you have the people that will tell the line. And then you have the folks that will go in there and try to one up and make their employers better off, better off. Sometimes the carrier may not even know something like this happened. Their guy just simply did it because he thought that's what they wanted him to do. Think about the people taking all the time and claims. You know, as long as you, if, if you look at it, and this is one of the funniest things that I've ever looked at, most of them have no idea that there's a state statute that says when you're supposed to perform a claim. Texas is very specific. They have very specific timelines. I have an internal, internal TAM from State Farm that's on the actual Insurance Busters website. Uh, state Farm Criminals Amongst Us is the name of the uh, is the name of that article. Uh, he sent me a copy of the internal TAM, and the internal TAM is in such a way that the user defines everything. By saying that, what I mean is, is that when you were speeding out there on the road and you were doing, you know, uh, 45 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone, the only way that you could get caught is if there's a police officer there to catch you with, with the correct equipment, 
Or you could go to the police department and go, hey, I was out there on that 35 mile an hour road and I was doing 45 and I need my ticket. Right now for the insurance company to get in trouble, that's what they got to do. Unless somebody like us gets involved in it where we know right. what the timelines are and what's supposed to be going on. Otherwise, it's self-reported. You got nothing like that. Them. You got nothing like that in Louisiana, right? What do you mean? Timelines and stuff. That there is some timelines here. Every oh, yeah. state's got timelines. They're just all blurred. But what I love about Texas, Texas got real specific. Yeah, they said, Florida too. Motherfucker, you got 15 days to Florida too. acknowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you acknowledge on day one, that, that 15 days is out. 15 days to investigate. If you that's investigate, it. we meet you out there on the second day. That's out. So I love that ability <clears throat> to keep that time because that's prompt payment statute. It says it in the name. This is to make sure that you pay what you owe promptly because we understand that when you don't, you take that money and you buy corn with it. Right. Yeah. We don't want you buying corn unless it's money that you earn. Exactly. If you earned it, then you spend it however the hell you want to. But if you want somebody else, you can go ahead and get it paid when you're supposed to get it paid. Gotcha. Okay. Let's share. jump back over there one more time. I know we get sidetracked, but it's really hard not to, especially when we start looking at the whole, the class, we go through a, you know, the, the whole process. So right now we're jumping into an immediate uh, deal. Give immediate notice to us or your insurance agent. Let's, let's go back up just one more time. The uh, insurance seeking coverage or representative either. I want to make sure that everybody is absolutely 100% clear on who that representative is. That is us. That 10% us. fee that you were talking about, that is the line right there. These duties must be performed that tells us that we should be able to charge for that service. Okay. Give immediate notice to us or your insurance agent. Except for reasonable emergency measures taken under additional coverages too, there's no coverage for repairs. And nobody would expect them to. I'm trying to scroll down and I don't have the mouse. <laughs> Okay, uh, that begin before early of 72 hours after we are notified of the loss, the time of the loss inspection by us, the time of other approval by us. B, to the degree reasonably possible, retain the damaged property, and two, allow us to inspect. Okay, there's something missing out of there that should be in there, and it should be reasonable. Uh, well, it's to, degree, have, to degree reasonably they, possible, retain the damaged property and allow us to inspect. Well, that allows us to inspect. There should be a reasonable section there. Well, probably as we get down, this is a subsection that's specific to Florida because they have some $10,000 caps and stuff that they're trying to, to whip on everybody. That's why this, this is one of them. It is. That's why this is specifically in it. Uh, allows to inspect subject to be above all damaged property prior to its removal from the resident's premises. Uh, in the case of a windstorm or hurricane occurrence, any claim including but not limited to the initial claim, supplemental claim or reopened claim is barred unless you give us notice within three years after the hurricane first made landfall or the windstorm caused cover damage. That's a three-year window that most places don't have, and I really like that. Right. Well, now it's, now, it's, now it's two. Now, and they did reduce it to two? Yeah. Okay. Um, immediately notify the police in case. And this is good common sense. That's something that you should have done anyway. Yep. Same thing with D. We're not going to spend too much time on that. Let's go to E. Right. Mm-hmm. E is, is the one that we hear about every day from every damn carrier out there, from every adjuster, I don't care if it's their first day or their 1500th day, they all have this one part of the policy down really, really good. Um, where did we go? Yeah. Protect the covered property from further damage. The following must be performed. What are they actually talking about there? Mitigation. Mm-hmm. They're talking about mitigation. Where does the mitigation portion of this policy lie? Under what section? Coverage A. 
duties after loss. Okay, so and, and this this uh, another argument. Badger, when he contacted us, he said, nowhere in that policy does it say it pays for the PA fees. My response to him was, nowhere in that policy does it say it pays for the roofer either. Catch 22, isn't it? It doesn't say uh-huh. that it's going to pay for anybody. It says it's going to pay for whatever it takes. Uh-huh. If the insured cannot mitigate their roof, they have to do what? They have to hire somebody that's capable of doing that. Which is paid for then, by the insurance company. And then the policy pays for it. My exact point where we're going is the policy demanded that you do something. And because it demanded that you perform that, it pays you for that. Oh, so there it can, is, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. We can all understand it when it comes to mitigation, but we somehow lose it there because this is the only part of the policy that anybody talks about. Yeah, you have a duty to mitigate. Oh, yeah, yes, I do. But, you know, there's some other things that go along with that. So... It, Without the having the roofer's name in here or having the drywall guy or having the FEMA tarp services or anybody in here, all of those people would get paid. It means that our name doesn't have to be in there for us to get paid. It already says up there at the top of it that you are your representative and we are the only one that can legally represent. So you must be talking about us. I am. To keep an accurate record of repair and expenses. This is just to me, this is and, and I'm a businessman. I've, I've we own multiple businesses. I've been in business. I've, I've been my own boss since as long as I can remember, probably 25 years or better. Uh, but these are something that we should all do. Keep an accurate record. Prepare an inventory of damage. I'm not going to get into that too much. And here's, here's where we go. As often as we reasonably require. Now, see, that's why I say we were looking up there that was missing a word, and it was missing that word reasonable. Uh, and we don't – that word has a couple of common meanings between a few people that is not uh, what we would believe it was. For us, we provide a valuation before we meet with the carrier out there. When we meet with them out there, they already have our valuation in their hand. Reasonable demand, uh, proof of loss. These things should already be done. If this is done correctly, when we get out there, say we meet the guy out there and it's a, it's a roof, and we've got on our demand, the whole entire roof is going to be replaced. We sent that demand over them a week and a half ago. We show up on the on the boss. And the adjuster says, oh, man, it looks like you're going to uh, be replacing this roof. I'm going to need to call an engineer. See, it would have been reasonable to call the engineer the day that you got my valuation. That's Ah, the day that you should have reviewed it. And then you should have contacted him then. And then you're going to try to tell me, well, the engineer is three weeks out and his report's three weeks out. Well, you're on the clock, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you better you better hope that he can move <laughs> something around because in 15 days, That's you're right. going to get a complaint. And really, if you're telling me right now today in writing that it's going to be three weeks, I can go ahead and file the complaint now because you've already told me uh, in writing that you have no intention of, of following the law. So we would at that point go ahead and file. Now, it's not reasonable to contact the engineer and have the engineer come out. But we are not the people that get to decide that. We're going to go ahead and meet the engineer. We're going to go ahead and allow it. One thing I want to make sure that everybody is clear of, you, you can't stop the insurance company from coming out. They have a right. Uh, and, and we'll look at it. If I told you, Vince, you owe me 100 grand, but you can't come look at the shit that you owe me 100 grand on. That's, that's not cool. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do it to others as you would do unto yourself. That, that's number one. Right. Uh, same thing I tell people about their valuations. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite uh, graduates, Mindy. <laughs> he was having a hard time on, and we were, we had made a specific uh, a specific item on the countertop. Uh, the countertop, the cabinets were being replaced because the cabinets were damaged. They had a granite countertop on it. Does the countertop get replaced, or does it get detached and reset? So Mindy tells me, "Well, it's going to be, it's going to break. 
I have 10 guys that will come out and tell me that thing will break every time. And I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll bring 10 guys that say it won't break. Right. You know, so it, it, it's neither your opinion or my opinion. Uh, and, and don't let me forget to get sidetracked talking about the engineers and, and if a PA should hire them. Uh, but on this specific thing, if, if the countertop is not broken, I'm not going to demand that the insurance company replace it. I'm going to put a detach and reset. That's why you can go back for two years and floor it on the supplemental claim is because we all understand that we things happen after this thing goes on that we can't account for now. If unless, the countertop is not broken now, I'm not going to charge for it to be broken. Unless the claim gets settled with the release, then what do you do? Who would settle it with the release? The attorneys do it all the time. Then the attorney's liable. Yeah, then the attorney's at fault in that deal. But I can never make a demand, and it becomes real simple. And, and let's look at it this way, and I'll, I'll fix you the same way I fixed Mindy. Would you pay for the countertop that was not broken? I mean, for the likelihood uh, that it's going to break, not, yeah, not, it's, I would. it's not broken. It's not broken right now. You would pay for all of those countertops that weren't broken. Uh, no, no, you would not. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would say, shit, no, is it broken now? No, then it's not broken. Also, for our demands to be true. The second that we get into a deposition, and I've been deposed over 100 times by some of the best attorneys that money can buy. Uh, we literally have been through that gamut. So... When the deposition comes uh, and they say to you, okay, your demand is true and correct. And you say, yeah, it's true and correct. And then they say, well, you have on here to replace this granite countertop. And we're told this is a, this is a good charge. This is six, seven, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. So you have this on there. And then they hand you a set of pictures and they go, can, can you show me where, where that's broken at? Right. And you can't. And see your whole reputation and everything that you do just got shit on right there because a simple detach and reset as opposed to replace. So I would definitely go for the detach and reset. The item's open. Again, We'd, there's too many I, claims, Cal, that they end up getting releases signed, even in litigation where there's no see, going that's not back. that's normal for us. Yeah, that's not normal for you. We've signed one release in mind that, that I can remember. There's only been one release that we've signed in the entire time, and they all go to litigation, damn it. Hmm. As we're saying that, let me, let, me, let me make sure I clarify what I mean by going to litigation. If we go after $100,000 and the insurance company pays $75,000, great. That's like telling a dad, good, you paid your child support. Mm -hmm. You don't get a kudos for that. I'm going to go ahead and accept the undisputed funds of the $75,000. Then I'm going to ask you, where's the other 25 at? I'm going to do it in the form of a final demand. And I expect to see it because one of two things happen. I either lied or I didn't. If I lied and it was $75,000 to begin with, and I tried to bump it up to $100,000 so that I could get $75,000, give them a liar. What about the argument that an estimate is just that, an estimate? That is a, that's like talking about matching. It's, it's the wrong conversation to be had. The estimate, you, you brought this baseball bat to the table. When I was a contractor, I did these beautiful Microsoft Word contracts that had all the stuff that we were going to do in it, but I could not break them down like Xactimate does on every little single thing. So we would show up at the same loss, me and the, and the insurance company, and the insurance company would say, Cal, this is $5,000. My shit says $48,000. And they go, but Cal, look, you know, you got three pages and you don't explain anything out. See, on ours, we, we talk about the drywall and the baseboard, and we have every single thing out, and it just says $5,000. So it really becomes, is, is that 
scope correct. If the scope is correct, then we've already agreed exactamen is the pricing that we're going to use. So if we've agreed that exactamen is the pricing, is that scope correct or not? If it is correct, then what do you owe? The price that's attached to it. That would be my argument to the valuation. You're right. It's not an estimate. Yeah. It's an exactimate. Motherfuckers. Exactly. <laughs> 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 all right, let's okay, keep going. The, the engineering thing, that, real quick, we'll hit on that. And we get the question all the time, should, should I bring my own engineer out? No, you okay. shouldn't bring your own damn engineer out. Uh, the only time that, that an engineer should come out there for the insured is if you've went like, and, and we'll look at a, like say a, a tornado. We've done a lot of tornadoes. If I walk up to the front door and I can see that the front door in that three foot span at the top of that front door, there's an inch and a half gap from the hinge side to the plunge side. I'm going to put a charge on there to get the engineer to come out there. And I've never had an insurance company tell me, no, Cal, we won't pay for that. No, they will agree for it. Now, here's here's the, the screwed up deal. I'm from Texas, where the majority of claims that you see, uh, the vast claims are hail. That's what you see a big bunch of is hail. So out of all those hail claims, we will see engineer after engineer after engineer. When you walk up and you literally have a hail hit the size of your fist, and they call it an engineer out here to look at this. But then we go to an area that had an EF3 or an EF4 tornado and rip down through this whole thing like a brush hog. Have you ever seen a, a big, fast area hit by tornado? Yeah. It's, it's insane. looks like a brush hog just literally went right down through there and got some stuff and missed some stuff. Those are the ones that should have the engineers on. But they don't call them out on those, do they? Just for structural stuff, like, like figuring out the kind of structural uh, well, that, uh, and they details don't. that happen. They it, should shouldn't, have. it shouldn't be for, for causation is what you're saying. Exactly. Well, and the reality of it is, they can lie. They can floof a bunch of stuff on the on that on the roof. Oh, the shingle takes it's this. It's just blah, blah, opinions. Blah, 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 blah. It's just yes. opinions. They're but not... when we start talking about structural, it's not an opinion. Right. There's a factual evidence of what it is and right. what has to be done to repair it. So we don't want those guys out here because <laughs> right. if they come out here, they've got to put to it because then we can get them in a whole bunch of trouble. You mean to tell me that the member that the the header was an inch and a half sitting off the top of the deal? That that's okay, right? They can't do that. They will lose that license very quickly. Uh, but the gist of the whole thing is, is it's an opinion. You, you hit the nail on the head. If the insurance company has hired an engineer and you're attempting to get, and this would be the only reason that you would have an engineer under my deny. concept, was that, yeah, well, they brought theirs to deny, and you're now trying to bring one to sway their opinion. What is your job as the PA? Sway their opinion. Same thing. It's a I understand. I agree. Yeah, and and they're what's going to end up happening, and this is this is the the culmination of the whole thing. If they're got an engineer on their side already, then they're going to deny, which means that more than likely you're going to end up in litigation. If you end up in litigation, then the litigation part they pay for the it. Attorney, well, the attorney is going to have to do his own independent deal. Whatever I did in my file, he's going to have to hire somebody else to go do that. So if I hired an engineer, that he's going to have to hire another engineer, and then the insured is going to pay for who? At the end of the day, both. They're going to pay for both of these, these engineers. They shouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, if you need to get an engineer, you need to close up your part of the claim and get it to somebody that knows what's going down. Uh, because the engineer, getting you bring an engineer is going to take more time, which they love. Thank you for giving us another 60 days, another six months. They love that part of it. Then when they get it, what are they going to say? 
uh, we agree to disagree <laughs> and, and it's over with. Uh, and, and then you end oh, up in the same place. I keep telling everybody that an engineer the other day told me that he was giving a factual based opinion. Yeah. Factual based opinion. Huh? How can you have a factual That's, opinion? It's an oxymoron yeah. if I ever heard it, one. It, it, in its own title, it's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's a factual opinion. Well, we would call it a fact. That, exactly. That, that, we call those things facts. Or an opinion. Whatever yeah. it is, it's not, one of the, it's not both. It's either. Either or. One of the two. All right. Uh, as often as we reasonably require, provide us with records and documents we request and permit us to make copies. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, what about, what, but, they, but they never want to submit shit to us. Yeah, but they don't have a choice. And that's the whole document part. Once you put it down, they don't have a choice. Now you have, and, and this is the reality, you have a bunch of idiots that don't know what's going on. Right. This is where complaints come in very good. Complaints are not to get a claim paid. That sometimes happens, but complaints are to allow the Department of Insurance to understand and know what's going on with their constituents. Uh, and then for them, when they are on the violations, and, you know, right now, if you look at most of the complaints that come in, I think there's been 23 to 2,500 complaints that have come in from Louisiana. I can guarantee you the majority of those complaints go something like this. That asshole insurance adjuster came out here. I didn't see him for, uh, for God knows when. He didn't call him or anything, and he didn't pay my claim. While I, I feel bad for you, and I understand that that make you frustrated, but nothing in what you just said violates any of the statutes, which means that when it comes to the complaint department, right. the complaint department's going to look at it and say, this is not a valid complaint, and they're absolutely right. right. There has to be a, an actual statutory violation that would trigger them to go ahead and say, this is a valid complaint, and we are going to put a hickey against the insurance company. Now, all those hickeys are supposed to add up. And if they get so many hickeys, then they're supposed to be audited for a two to a four year period, depending on what state it is. Right. Uh, and that's a whole nother, you don't want to get audited. Right. And then we're not talking about a, a singular audit. It's supposed to be an audit where you now go for the next year, two year period. We're going to audit everything that you do because kind of looks like you got a pattern of doing this. Right. Um, so they're imperative. But also what happens when we file a complaint, we send the complaint to the Department of Insurance. We send a copy to the insured. And every some son of a bitch that was involved in that claim gets their name is on it and they get a copy of it. And then whatever state farm, then it goes to the fire claim central, whichever the, the home body is. What that does is it normally gets somebody else involved. The low level guy is telling you, go screw yourself and he ain't running nothing. He don't know what's going on. He doesn't even know that he's in trouble. When the complaint is filed, his supervisor gets a hold of it, looks at it and says, wait a second, this shit is going south very quickly. And then you'll see them. And we've had many, many come in before and resolve the whole claim just like that because the right person got involved. The person that we're dealing with is a numbnuts that doesn't know the statute, has never read a single policy. If you've never read this policy, how can you say that you're out here adjusting this claim and doing what you're supposed to be doing and then telling that these things aren't covered? Who the fuck told you they're not covered? Right. Well, my supervisor, what's that motherfucker's name? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to pause his ass as well. Have you ever read the doc the policy? Well, you know, one time at band camp. No, we're not talking about one time at band camp. We're talking about this policy on this claim that you just said this was not covered. Who the fuck told you that? Right. And the blink, I, we get, that's where you see the blink at the most when they say, well, that we don't cover that. Where, where, who told you that? I call it the backstroke. And then they say, yeah. oh, well, 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 Mr. Perry, well. Yeah. And then it's, and, and it's not Vince anymore. It's Mr. Perry. Huh? Right, exactly. <laughs> 
Exactly. And I love that. We start out and it's one way. Usually by the time that we end up, it's, it's Mr. Spoon and, and how about this? And how about that? Mm-hmm. All right. Allergies uh, killing me. That's all good. Okay. Uh, provide us records. Uh, you or any insured under this policy must submit under uh, submit to examinations under oath and recorded statements while not in the presence of any other insured. Mm-hmm. What I would say about that is in the network we have garnered, I think there's been five, maybe six attorneys that have came to the, to the camp. Uh, all of those, those attorneys have agreed to, um, if, if you, they contact and say, Vince, we want to do an examination under oath with your, with your insured. If they're asking for an examination under oath, it's kind of like the engineer deal. Yep. Something's going on that there's already shit in the game and they're trying to figure something out or do something. Uh, at that point in time, your insurance should have legal representation and we're not it. So these attorneys and I'll, I'll name a few of them off that are there in, um, then in, uh, Florida, uh, Dennis green, um, who else is over there? And you can call Sean. Sean has people in his office as well that they will literally just take that part and, and represent them under the written exam, the examination under oath. Nice. In other words, they charge them a, a fee, three to 500 bucks for them to sit in on that examination under oath. Uh, and then if they end up going to litigation and they hire that attorney, then that attorney just swaps it all. That's awesome. Which we know that's pretty much where it's going to go. Pretty much. Almost going down. Uh, submit to examination. Your agent, blah, blah, blah. Submit to examination under oath and court. That's all under the same deal. We're going to skip over that. Cooperate with us in the investigation of a claim. See, that word reasonably should be in there. You cooperate with us, with us as long as we're being reasonable. The second that we're not being reasonable, then you don't have to cooperate with us anymore. Right. Okay, here's, here comes a biggie. Send here's Cal's favorite. Send to us within 60 days after our request. Your sign sworn. What happened? What are you doing, Vince? You're good. <laughs> That's just going everywhere. All right, you should be good now. Uh, hold on. Let me see. Okay, send us, you, you highlighted it. That's what's going on. Send us within 60 days of our after our request your signed sworn proof of loss, which sets forth to the best of your knowledge and belief. Okay, this policy gives you an option. But what I'm going to tell you is you don't have a fucking option. You should be submitting a sworn proof of loss on every single claim that you do. Agreed. Now, there's, now there's some other key key. Uh, items in here that word sworn proof of loss do you notice that there's doesn't say notary that's right a sworn notarized proof of loss says a sworn proof of loss sworn proof of loss is defined as uh, i test under the penalty of perjury that the following is true and correct that is a sworn statement that you are signing and swearing to there you go there it is is a written sworn statement, statement is a written statement of to a legal proceeding, it is signed by the, de- the declarant to state that all content is true and that they acknowledge that the penalty of perjury may follow. So nothing about notary. And then my favorite yeah. is, um, uh, let's see here, a sworn declaration, also called a sworn statement. This is in Wikipedia as a document that recites yeah. facts pertinent to a legal proceeding. It is very similar to an affidavit, but is not witnessed and sealed by an official such as a notary public. Instead, the person making the declaration signs a separate endorsement paragraph at the end of the document stating that the declaration is made under penalty of perjury. It literally now, specifically says it is not. It does, notary, but, but I w- there is a caveat on that. There is a few states that have their 
common law has said that the sworn statement is notary. And there's oh. only a few. Florida's not, not one of them. And not Texas my state. Not one of them. Not my yeah, state. Florida's not one. So I want to make sure. But well, I, I started learning probably about two or three years ago to quit saying uh, all of these things. Like speaking as a seen, matter of fact, yeah. Or speaking that, that I've seen everything. Uh, right. Just because I have seen it simply doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And they keep changing shit over and over. Uh, right. So you, I got out of saying that. At our request, uh, let's go. Hold on one second. Number one, time and cause of loss, interest of the insured. Now, and this is this is crucial. The interest of the insured and all others in the property involved in all liens of the property. If you have everything going great, if you did everything you're supposed to, the insurance company's on their job. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they issued you a check. And the check gets to you, and it has the previous mortgage company's name and the insured and your name on it. Are you going to be able to uh, transact that check? No. No, not at all. But if you were doing your job and you were doing the proof of loss correctly, this would be in your proof of loss package with the correct mortgage holder. Yeah. Now, here's where that becomes uh, viable. Anybody that says that they're not looking for money is a lying son of a bitch. Uh, this, our profession is such that you need every dollar that comes in and you're always one to get paid. So if they show up and they've got a check for you for $10,000 that should be yours, but it has the mortgage company's name from the prior mortgage on there. And they're telling you, okay, here's what we need to do. Send me that check back. When we get that check back, we'll, we'll cancel it. And then we'll send you another check out. See, if you didn't do your job, they could do that all day long. Mm -hmm. But if you did your job, you can send a simple response and say, if you would have reviewed, and this is what they love to tell us. Did you review everything we sent you? I love to flip that around and ask them that. Did you review everything we sent you? If you did, you would notice that the correct mortgage name is on there and it's your mistake. And if you don't have that check overnighted to me and I have it in my hands tomorrow, I'm going to file a complaint with the Department of Insurance and give all this information. Guess what will happen? Tomorrow, you will be sitting with a check in your hand. 100%. Instead of waiting 14 days, 28 days, which is all them holding that money. So these are all things that are, that are good. They should be in good practice anyway because they help you in almost every single thing that you do. Um, other insurance, which may cover the loss, it's, it's been ruled on in many courts. Uh, the existence of other insurance is no reason for the insurance company not to pay the loss. That's why we have subrogation clauses. If you go ahead and do your duty, you pay for the loss. If you believe somebody else owes some money on it, then you have every right to go back after them and subrogate them after the insured is made whole. Again, we see the true intent of the policy. Yeah. Do not burden the insured, get everything done, put them back together. And then we're going to take over all the shit. Why are we going to do that? Because you paid me in advance for something that it may or may not happen. Makes the contract very specific and very special. Changes in title or occupancy of the property during the term of the policy. That is a, should be a common sense issue. If you have a motel and all you did was motel stuff and you were insured as a motel, that's one thing. But six months ago, you decided you'd put a kitchen in that son of a bitch and you put a pizza oven in there that the pizza oven caught fire, burnt down the whole damn place. And the insurance company never knew that there was a pizza machine in there. They should have known. You should have told them. You should have been on. I, I would want you to tell me. Same thing with treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Right. If you want to be insured correctly, then you must be honest with them about everything that you got going on. Because once that honesty occurs, we can then demand it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so, and, and you should be telling them that's the same thing we look at uh, contents. You know, people have contents and they say, well, I've got a gun that's worth $100,000. And they have contents coverage of ninety thousand dollars. 
And you look at them and you go, so you're telling me that the insurance company should pay you the whole totality of the contents coverage of your home for the one item. Yeah. No bullshit. You should have went down there and told them I have this $100,000 gun and right. let them insure that $100,000 gun by itself. Right. right itself. Yeah. Because you're limited on all those items. Okay. The inventory, specification of damaged buildings and detailed repair estimates. Okay. That, that's where your fee comes in again. Now, a, a, a quick recap of where we're at. All, we're, we're down at number eight, section, uh, subsection two, section five. two, subsection five, uh, letter H. If you have all of this stuff inside of your demand oh. and you have complied to this point, you're getting close to being able to charge your fee. Um, the specification of the damage building to detailed repair estimates, the, the, the PAs, and I don't give a shit if it pisses them off or not. If you show up to a, a damn loss without your own valuation, you need to find another profession. You yes. need to go some goddamn where else and go do something besides what you're doing here because there's, you didn't do anything. I tell people you have to have everything ready to go by the time you have that initial inspection with the carrier. Everything's got to be let's, ready and submitted already. Yes. Let, let's talk about the, the, the elephant in the room. It's clear bad faith. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? Oh, it's, it's just crystal clear as mud, bad faith. Did, and, and then the question becomes very simple. Did you perform a proof of loss? No. Okay, then we're taking bad faith off the table. If you didn't perform the duties after a loss, if you didn't send a proof of loss, mm. the insurance company was never put on correct notice, as it says right here in this section, of what they were supposed to do. So if they weren't put on notice, the second they walk into the courtroom, and this is what we see the claims environment today in totality, all the way across every spectrum, this is what occurs. Nobody ever looked at this. Nobody on the insurance side ever looked at this shit that we're looking at right now. So they didn't perform anything. Right. Somehow, whatever cocktail that comes, a contract, the PA, appraiser, however it comes to happen, they end up with an attorney. Once the attorney is involved and he files a depending on where he's at, but you're in the United States, both 60-day pre-suit demand. Yep. When they file that 60 days and you ask them, well, what happens in that 60 days? And they say, well, we start putting our claim file together. And then you really got to tell them, stop a second. Let's, let's get real specific. What, what do you need to do? You mean you need to go back after the duties after loss? You need to read those things and do those things, right? Yes. See, if you're just now doing them and you're the attorney, means <laughs> they've got an attorney involved on their side. And guess what that attorney on their side is doing? He's waiting for you to provide this so that he can then perform according to the insurance policy. Neither can be done until both perform. So then they end up and they say, okay, the loss was $580,000. We're agreeing on that. Fantastic. But there's no bad faith, which means that the $580,000 is a real number. We're agreeing on that. That's the real number. Now you're going to pay the attorney's fees out of that. That's bullshit. That shouldn't be going on. That, that's, that's the... the the crutch of the problem that we're seeing now. If none of this stuff happened till the attorney got involved, you're not, it's very seldom that you're going to see bad faith. And, and we'll just, we'll one up that. Can you name a bad faith suit? I cannot. Me neither. Out <laughs> <laughs> of all this that we do. Uh, and I want to make sure that I reiterate again about the litigation part. Even though, we, and we got sidetracked a while ago, even though we litigate the majority of claims, we only litigate on the money that the insurance company didn't pay. They typically pay anywhere from 60 to 90% of every valuation that we sit in. And that other part of the valuation, they do not pay till after. 
And that if we talked about this earlier, they don't want to write the guy IA a check for cutting those items. And right. not only do they not want to write him a check, they don't want him to understand that these things are covered. And, and I'll give one little quick anecdote. We had a, uh, we had a bunch of claims out in Oklahoma and it was uh, travelers. I had probably 20 or 25 claims with those guys. The first guy that I met was kind of like me, a little, little short guy, fiery, you know, he, he's, you know, uh, full of piss and vinegar. We show up on the very first uh, adjustment and mine's, his is like 38,000, mine's 390 something thousand. He gets out of the truck and he's purple. This, this fucking farce and he's cussing, he's doing it. And I looked over at one of the air conditioners. I said, you see that air conditioner? And he goes, yeah. I said, that's a $20,000 unit. There's three of them sitting right there. Oh, then I became Mr. Spoon. We walked over this first bathroom. <laughs> he, he went back, comes back, and he said, he calls me. And he, we're, we're good buddy. Hey, Cal. Hey, I sent that over to you. Well, I got every single thing in there that you had, except for the overhead and profit. Mm-hmm. I said, overhead and profit, why, why didn't you pay? They said, because we don't pay that, Cal. Uh-uh. And I said, well, you know, here, here's a funny thing that y'all don't understand. Y'all think that y'all have this umbrella around that when you do that something wrong, if the insurance company is going to protect you, that only works if it's right. Travelers does pay O&P. You specifically are choosing not to pay it, which means that you specifically are going to be the one that gets in trouble. Oh, eyes cringe a little bit. Cal, let me, let me get back with them. We'll call my manager. He calls manager, calls back. He says, my manager said, you're crazy. We don't pay that. I said, what's his name? told him his name and I said, call him back and tell him he's now on the list. (laughs) 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 Five minutes later, he calls me and says, son of a bitch, Cal, they're paying it. To me, it was just another day and just something else that we do. But like I said, I have this guy on a whole ton of adjustments. So I meet him on like the next three or four and he is just like my best buddy. Oh yeah, yeah, I got everything. And the, the second one I met him on, he goes, yeah, he said, I went back and I contacted all these people and paid this overhead profit to them. I said, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how brainwashed they are. Oh, my company wants to do the right thing. I said, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think that they're going to come after you. And you're going to be in trouble for doing that. Oh, no, no. I see him four or five more claims. Everything's fine. Hunky door. He's great. Maybe that sixth claim, he's that same guy I met on the first one. We don't pay O&P. We don't oh, do my this. God. That's hilarious. Well, they tore his ass up. But it, the example is, is that the second they told him that it was okay, he began to do it. And then this when is why they don't too pay many. for decking on every claim. That's why they don't pay right. OMP on every claim. Right. Uh, once you were given the okay to do it, you begin to do it. And you've completely destroyed what's taken them 40 or 50 years to build. Right. Exactly. That's okay. insane. That's crazy. So he agreed to pay it. And then because he started paying it uh, consistently, they decided to tell him that he can't pay no, it anymore. No, he went back proactively and paid other clients that didn't demand it. So right. he had already closed claims out. So he called them yeah. and he's a staff adjuster. So he wasn't, he was getting roughly the same pay no matter what. Right. He called these people up proactively and told them, Hey, we owe you some more money. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He was in a little bit of trouble. I thought he was just doing it going forward. No, no, no. He, he made it retroactive uh, and good. got his ass in the hole, but it, it speaks to him believing in what he was doing. And then when he was approved on something and it was told that it was right, then him, him implementing that into his 
claims process. Right. That's why they're not paying those things. That's why we see the majority of our claims, 90% go to litigation. We're not going to litigation on the meat. The insured has the meat. We have the meat. If, if right. they paid $75,000, that means that the insured got their cut. We got $7,500 out of it. So everybody's got money to wait to do any mitigation that's necessary and wait on that insurance company and the attorney to resolve the rest of the claim. But you're sitting on a pocket full of money already. Right. And it's not free money. It, it's money that you're owed and money that needs to go towards the claim. But it's a much different scenario than when you don't have any money, you don't know what's going on. People often say, how do you get your insurance to sign? How do you not? I mean, that, that, that surprises me that people have a hard time getting. Let's, cl- uh, let's close this out. Let's close the duties after the loss out. Uh, one thing is all these things in here, this is something that I learned from you, should already be in your, in Florida, your letter of representation that you exactly. present to the insurance company, which is also known as a preliminary proof of loss. Because once you submit your specification of damaged buildings and detailed repair estimates, that should complete the duties after the loss in regards to the proof of loss. Am I correct? Should. And, and each policy is a little bit different. So you need to go up there and reach each one that, that's there. Um, one thing that I would point out here, and it's a very good thing, is number seven, receipts for additional living expenses incurred. Right. There's very, and I, I've seen several posts today, level the playing field in, in our forum over at Public Adjuster Attorney Portal, um, talking about this where, uh, you know, they're saying, well, like Drip Edge, Drip Edge is code, so it's a cost incurred item. You're full of shit. <laughs> the Drip Edge is required to be put back on there. It has nothing to do with the uh, law, uh, ordinance and law. It is a well, system to be put up. And specifically the, says O&L coverage. O&L coverage specifically says, uh, it says undamaged. It says it on yes, the or, exactly. no, it says undamaged property. It says it right on there. Exactly. Exactly. Many people get it screwed up. There's a little uh, uh, exercise I go through to, to, to go over ordinance and loss. And we're kind of jumping off here, but it's, it's probably a good one. People will enjoy it. Uh, ordinance and loss, I explain it in two ways. The, the first way would be that you had a fire loss that burned up a little house. The valuation of that house was $100,000. You put it together and it says that it's $110,000. So somebody might say, hey, that is, uh, that's actually um, underinsured. And then we would say, well, no, let's, let's go back and see what coverage they have. If they have the ordinance and law. If they paid that premium for that additional coverage, then we're going to go back and we're going to see if there was anything that was in violation. The house burnt down because it had aluminum wire. Aluminum wiring is no longer viable. They must have copper wiring. So what we would do is we would pull that electrical out probably going to be roughly about 10 grand that is going to leave the 100 grand for the dwelling and then the 10,000 will be moved over to the ordinance and law and that will be an additional coverage that's paid when incurred right now the second scenario and this is touches on what you were saying say we had a house that the kitchen had a small fire in it it did not exhaust the policy and so that everybody's clear, we shouldn't be talking about ordinance and law unless they've exhausted the policy, like what we were talking about in the first scenario, or they get to a section where we're talking about this scenario here. You have a, a house that burned. Uh, it's a small fire in the kitchen, did not exhaust the policy limit. So they still had a bunch of covers left in the policy. But when the fire happened, the electric company come out and the fire department come out and they cut the power off. When they cut the power off, they noticed that this uh, breaker box is connected to the in-law suite illegally. Nobody ever pulled a permit and it's not correct. And we never said that this was okay. 
See, that's an undamaged portion of the property. Right. It's going to have to be affected in order to get the rest of the property back to where it needs to be. If you have the ordinance and law coverage, you're golden. If you don't, then you're going to have to come out of your pocket to uh, get the electrical fixed on that building. Oh, here we go. I found it. Demolition and reconstruction of the undamaged part of the covered building or other yes. structure. Remodeling, yes. removal, or replacement of the portion of the undamaged part of a covered building. Yes. I just and sent the email to an adjuster yesterday. Yeah. I said, let me educate you on something. Let me tell you exactly what ordinance <laughs> they love it when is. you tell them that. <laughs> I said, let me tell you what I learned in Cal Spoon's class. You should take okay. it. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, I guess we kind of finished the duties after the loss. I think we finished it. Uh, I think we got enough for them to get, you know, there's no way that we could get, it, it takes a whole week for us to go through this. Well, listen, year. and we could be on this thing, by the way, we've already hit the two hour mark and we could easily probably yeah. be here for three hours. Easily, um, but I got, I got stuff to do and I think you do too. Exactly. <laughs> Last one in duties is at our request, provide us or execute an authorize, uh, an authorization, which allows us to obtain on your behalf records and documentation we deem relevant to investigation of your loss. Any yeah, that's comments? a good one. And I, and I would say that one right there kicks their ass. Uh, and, and the reason being is if they if in, in that in, if in that request, they said, hey, we need to see your tax return. They can't get your tax return. See, this is a very broad statement. This is saying if we request it, that you must give it to us. That's not correct. If you request it and you're legally able to have it, then you can have it. But if you're not, then I'm not giving it to you. And this, this is to all PAs and people that are working in claims when they ask you for something, if it sounds fishy get on one of these damn forms and get an attorney's opinion, not yeah, and it, a, you know, <laughs> and it specifically says what we deem relevant. Like, yes. And, and that's not that's, relevant. Yeah. Well, the, the, and we deem you're not the boss, right? You may have wrote this, this contract, but you don't get my tax returns. We've already said that unless it's an arson. If it's an arson, you suspect that I did it, then you can have my tax returns, but there's no other time that you can get those. Right. Woo. Cal, we can go on all day, but like you said, I'm good. I got to go. Got, we've got things to do. Cal, yes, I appreciate it. This is going to be a hell of an episode. I can't wait till we post it. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you are swamped over there in Louisiana. I want you to know that I appreciate everything you do. I've learned a lot from you. I took your boot camp. Anyone who's still listening again, you have to. You have to take Cal Spoon's bootcamp. It should be a requirement for any public adjuster who's starting out or is already, you know, experienced, whatever it is, you're going to learn something and probably a lot more than just something. So Cal, I appreciate you. I commend you for everything that you do for our industry. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on. Perfect. Let me, let me make sure that we give kudos where kudos do. Without Melanie Spoon and Sean Hodge, the bootcamp would not be viable. It takes all three of us, to, and I, we hear my name often, often, and it's simply because I'm the one that's on the social media. But you've been to the camp, and you know that those two, they round everything off to where we get the perfect, in my opinion, blend of what you need from the law, the administrative, and the actual application. But I don't want to leave those guys out. I agree. Uh, shout out to Sean Hodge and to Melanie Spoon. All right, Cal. Here we go. Thanks right, so buddy, much, thanks. man. See you later. Be good. All right, bye.